Hello and welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I am, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 149th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, 48, 51, 56, 64, 74, 83, 92, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, 107, 108, 109, 111, 114, 115, 116, 119, 126, 127, 133, 137, 140, 146, 147, and episode 82, which also featured fellow regular guest Ash Burgess of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He is an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now, on to the show. I don't know. I went to bed with one or two recent shootings and one stock market plunge, and I woke up this morning with a second or third recent shooting and a second stock market plunge. And mm. Yeah. Been crazy. Mm-hmm. But trade wars yeah. are easy to win, Shaw. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I, I think, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. That, you know, uh, it doesn't always pay to be doom and gloom, but this may be the linchpin that we need to finish off the Trump presidency is for the economy to crash because of his absolute stupidity. So. Yeah, I mean, it's just a shame that so many people would have to get hurt to extract him, but, you know. This might be what it takes, I guess. I mean, it's hard to run against a good, or at least on paper, a good economy. So Yeah, well, it's a shame so many people voted for the guy. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyways, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think, like, they've, the Treasury Department has designated China a currency manipulator, which is something that they've always talked about doing, but, like, always held back from doing and stuff so mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's crazy i mean korea has been kind of playing a trade war game with japan recently and stuff japan like i think they i don't know what they did they banned the imports of uh, uh the ban the ban the exports to korea of a part that was necessary or a chemical or something or item that was necessary for the manufacture of uh, microchips or something, which is a big part of Korean economy, but it's also kind of a back and forth between the Korean and Japanese economies and stuff, and that's been having an effect. And mm. then Japan took Korea off their white list of countries that have some preferential trading thing, and then Korea did the same to Japan. And you know, Pom Peo came over here and met with like the basically the Secretary of States of both countries, but. America is basically kind of having a hands-off approach and let them figure it out and stuff, which is probably not smart. Probably America ought to sit them both down and say, look, you need to work this out right now. (laughs) There's crazy Mm -hmm. shit going on in the world. Like, just because Donald Trump is starting a trade war with China doesn't mean that everybody else needs to follow his example here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, And it's, it's, of course, about the wartime sexual slavery issue and stuff like that and Korean courts holding Japanese companies accountable for that and China or Japan not not accepting that so that's kind of where this is coming from so mm. 
And this is from World War Two. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so the Korean stock market plunged 600 points or something yesterday. Before and they they halted trading for five minutes or something, mm. which they haven't done for three years. And I think the Japanese economy is going down a little bit too. I'm not sure how much and stuff. And I I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much Korea can take in this kind of a fight. And I'm really not. I have even less idea how much the Japanese economy can take in this fight. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I don't know who knows today may go down in history. This may be the beginning of the next recession or depression in the world. I don't know, not to be alarmist, but, and I'm not, you know, I'm not primarily an economics guy, but, uh, yeah, it seems like today could be pretty major. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And we had shootings recently in Gilroy, California at the Garlic Festival, apparently with three dead, 15 wounded. Mm-hmm. Uh, El Paso, Texas, 22 dead at this point and 24 wounded. That Those numbers may uh, fluctuate. In Dayton, Ohio, nine dead and 27 injured. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely crazy day in America past mm-hmm. couple days yeah i don't know it's uh yeah bad to watch mm-hmm. so yeah but yeah we've watched the debates here or, well, uh, or yeah i watched i watched the first one i haven't watched the second one yet but this uh first one is was action-packed so yeah yeah i watched uh the second one first and then the first one second Although I'd seen bits and pieces of the first one before that, but CNN didn't make it easy this time. But, you know, we all have ways and means, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of curious as to why it was so hard to find. It seemed like the other ones were much more accessible, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's not a good thing. I mean, like, come on, CNN. Like, you should have this streaming on your site. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, right after it finishes, you can continue to have it allowed allow it to stream on your site. But like when I was trying to go to CNN.com to like watch the web, watch it like a couple hours after it ended, they're like, oh, winners and losers from tonight's debates. And oh, watch these little, you know, very highly curated 30 second clips from the debate and get a get a flavor of it. And it's like. You know, if 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 a debate has any value, it's that it gives people the knowledge of what the people are advocating. We don't need a middleman to, you know, curate that for us or give us the conclusions ahead of time. If, if you're going to have the responsibility of being in charge of a, a debate for a major party in America, you need to make that information free to the people, right? Mm-hmm. Like this isn't like, you know, oh, we're trying to push the CNN app or, oh, da, 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 you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a cable channel. Etc. It's uh, not the good way. Mm. So, but yeah, yeah, the first debate. So, what was your overall impression of the debate? Uh, overall, I thought Bernie and Elizabeth Warren uh, smacked down a fair number of uh, people that needed to be smacked down, and uh, they definitely. I mean, you talked about their non-aggression pact before, and they definitely seemed to be tag teaming it. Uh, this time around so I think that was good and it was a little bit annoying that they kept coming back with these same centrist arguments and of course we had the uh, 
debut on the debate stage, maybe for the last time, of Steve Bullock. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. That guy. That guy's voice annoyed the hell out of me. It was very irritating. I agree. He, he has this like really weird delivery where he just sounds very, I don't know, cocksure. Yeah. Use that word. <laughs> <It's> yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, there's one point where he one. talks. He was talking about private insurance, and he said something like, "My 12-year-old son almost—he had a heart attack right after he was born, and because we had because we had good health insurance, he didn't die." And it's like weird flex, but okay. I mean, like, what if you what if you were one of the people who didn't have good health insurance? I mean, that's the that's the only logical next thing you can say. But he's like he's acting like this is a big. I, you know, his tone was so bizarre. It was like so triumphant and like kind of look what I've got, but not everybody's got or something. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know. There were several cases where that guy was talking where it was just so annoying. But yeah, well, I think he's running on the I'm from a red state, but I'm a progressive sort of and I can capture the Trump voters like other people can't. I think is his is his pitch. So Yeah, but I think, you know that it's 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 ridiculous we i mean i just sent you yesterday the new york times had a had a document that they made through some pretty heavy research it looks like of where all the donors are to the democrats and stuff spread throughout the country geographically (laughs) i saw that and it was it was just like a huge blue map with like one little red spot two red spots a green spot or something a little bit of orange in there and all the blue was bernie sanders Mm -hmm. And all the other colors were all these other people and stuff. And they actually had to make a second version of the map without Mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders on it, just so you could even see where other people were actually getting money from. (laughs) Yeah, I I was like, wow, a file not found on the uh, 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 Tulsi Gabbard fundraising, I guess. uh, (laughs) There's a lot of people on the Internet that talk a lot of shit for Tulsi Gabbard, but where's the money, mother? Where's the money, Lebowski? (laughs) Well, I guess they I guess they couldn't include the uh, the map of Russia on that, so maybe that was where the heat map was for her. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah, I do think we got to be a little bit careful with her. Uh, from what I've seen online, it seems like uh, people who criticize her get a lot of like they get swarmed by you know by Tulsi bots or something like these people mm-hmm. who are. So it's it sounds like somebody they're making it difficult for some people to criticize her for some for whatever reason. Who knows what it is. Well, let me just say, welcome to the Rob Burgess Show, <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard hate lovers. <laughs> yeah, you should listen all the way to the end, because at the end we're going to do a big takedown on Tulsi. <laughs> You're going to hate it. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's funny. Be vicious. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, so anyways, this time we had, well, this is the second Democratic debate, the CNN debate held in, uh, held in Detroit, Michigan. This was night one. It was, what was it, July 30th, 2019. Uh, Yeah. I think that's that's pretty much the information, the basic information. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's see. We had Steve Bullock, who was a Montana governor. Uh, Let's see. Marion Williamson, spiritual author, activist, John Delaney. Former Maryland Congressman Tim Ryan, Ohio Congressman John Hickenlooper, former Colorado Governor Amy Klobuchar, Minnesota Governor Beto O'Rourke, former Texas Congressman 
Pete Buttigieg, mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Elizabeth Warren, Massachusetts senator. Bernie Sanders, Vermont senator. So those were the folks. And I don't know what was really weird about this. I mean, this 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 debate was much more entertaining, I'll say, than the second night debate, I think, was. Oh, yeah. Um, but this one also, like Jake Tapper, let it just get wildly out of control for the first like 35 minutes or something on healthcare. It mm-hmm. was just an absolute bloodbath free for all, you know. And I think the image of this debate, the defining image for me, is like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren holding flamethrowers back to back, just torturing everybody <laughs> around them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, they, I mean, you I know, know I. <laughs> I, I think it, 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 it almost it, wasn't fair. Like I was just like, "Did somebody call the fight?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I th- I think the three, the designated establishment hitmen for this this situation were uh, John Delaney, John Hickenlooper, <laughs> and uh, Tim Ryan. Those, those seemed <laughs> what, what <laughs> a they, collection. <laughs> they did their best, but you know you. They were like, uh, I don't know. They were squealing in the flames there after a while. It felt like so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll uh, we'll talk about this later. But my uh, my favorite moment wasn't actually something that someone said. It was actually when uh, Elizabeth Warren, like, actually, like, I could see her, like, 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 looking at uh, John Delaney when they were talking about Jay Taffer was like you're a rich man, John Delaney, and she's going to get your money. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to get your money. <laughs> like, she was like, she was like just rubbing yeah. her hands together and like, hey, <laughs> it was, it was yeah. awesome. To his, to his credit, he didn't at that point come out against higher taxes for the riches. He said, we need them, but he, you know, first said, you know, uh, you know, wall street speculators or, you know, the, uh, something like that. But, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, Bernie hit him a couple times for having been in the health care business, quote unquote, business. Uh, so, yeah, these are all things we're going to get into. But I, I definitely detected that those three guys were kind of designated, like they kept trying to play those three against him. And you wonder, like these people, what their purpose is to be in here. And you start to think, like, maybe it's just like they think that, you know, maybe maybe Biden, Joe Biden, like told them, like, look, just stay in do as much damage on, as you can on your debate night and I'll have a place for you in my administration somewhere or something like that. You know, it's like, these guys are not in it to win it. They're, they're definitely not. They're in there to just do as much damage mm-hmm. to the left as they can. And it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was wild, but um, it made you think a lot for sure about like if uh, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren were, to be like running mates together, you know, one way or the other, you could almost flip a coin or something to determine who was going to be at the top of the ticket. But what a, what an administration that would be. And I doubt that'll happen. I think either one of them would have to choose somebody more mainstream or moderate or something as their running mate, possibly a person of color, you know, possibly a woman or whatever. But uh, together, those two, they, I mean, they were remarkably effective at having each other's backs. They never went after each other. They, you know, they jumped in to, you know, when somebody else was going after the other one, it was, it was a hell of a show. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Governor Steve Bullock, please begin. Thanks, Dana. I come from a state where a lot of people voted for Donald Trump. Let's not kid ourselves. He will be hard to beat. 
Yet watching that last debate, folks seem more concerned about scoring points or outdoing each other with wish list economics than making sure Americans know we hear their voices and will help their lives. Look, I'm a pro-choice, pro-union, populist Democrat that won three elections in a red state, not by compromising our values, but by getting stuff done. That's how we win back the places we lost, showing up, listening, <clears throat> focusing on the challenges of everyday Americans. That farmer getting hit right now by Trump's trade wars, that teacher working a second job just to afford her insulin, they can't wait for a revolution. Their problems are in the here and now. I'm a progressive, emphasis on progress, and I'm running for president to get stuff done for all those Americans Washington has left behind. Marianne Williamson. Thank you. In 1776, our founders brought forth on this planet an extraordinary new possibility. It was the idea that people, no matter who they were, would simply have the possibility of thriving. We have not ever totally actualized this ideal, but at the times when we have done best, we have tried. And when forces have opposed them, generations of Americans have risen up and pushed back against those forces. We did that with abolition and with women's suffrage and with civil rights. And now it is time for a generation of Americans to rise up again, for an amoral economic system has turned short-term profits for huge multinational corporations into a false god. And this new false god takes precedence over the safety and the health and the well-being of we, the American people, and the people of the world, and the planet on which we live. Conventional politics will not solve this problem, because conventional politics is part of the problem. We, the American people, must rise up and do what we do best and create a new possibility. Say no to what we don't want and yes to what we know can be true. I'm Marianne Williamson, and that's why I'm running for president. Congressman John Delaney. Folks, we have a choice. We can go down the road that Senator Sanders and Senator Warren want to take us with, his, with bad policies like Medicare for all, free everything, and impossible promises that'll turn off independent voters and get Trump reelected. That's what happened with McGovern. That's what happened with Mondale. That's what happened with Dukakis. Or we can nominate someone with new ideas to create universal health care for every American <laughs> with choice. Someone who wants to unify our country and grow the economy and create jobs everywhere. And then we win the White House. I'm the product of the American dream. I believe in it. I'm the grandson of immigrants, the son of a construction worker. My wife, April, and I have four amazing daughters. I was the youngest CEO in the history of the New York Stock Exchange, created thousands of jobs, and then served in Congress. That's the type of background, and my platform is about real solutions, not impossible promises, that can beat Trump and govern. Thank you. Congressman Tim Ryan. America is great, but not everyone can access America's greatness. The systems that were built to lift us up are now suffocating the American people. The economic system that used to create 30, 40, 50 dollar an hour jobs that you can have a good solid middle class living now force us to have two or three jobs just to get by. Most families, when they go to sit at the kitchen table to do their bills, they get a pit in the middle of their stomach. We deserve better. 
and the political system is broken too because the entire conversation is about left or right, where you at on the political system. And I'm here to say this isn't about left or right. This is about new and better. And it's not about reforming old systems. It's about building new systems. And tonight, I will offer solutions that are bold, that are realistic, and that are a clean break from the past. Governor John Hickenlooper. Last year, Democrats flipped 40 Republican seats in the House, and not one of those 40 Democrats support the policies of our front runners at center stage. Now, I share their progressive values, but I'm a little more pragmatic. I was out of work for two whole years until I started what became the largest brew pub in America. And I learned the small, best, small business lessons of, of how to provide service and teamwork and became a top mayor and, as governor of Colorado, created the number one economy in the country. We also expanded health care and reproductive rights. We attacked climate change head on. We beat the NRA. We did not build massive government expansions. Now, some will promise a bill tonight or a, a plan for tonight. <clears throat> what we focused on was making sure that we got people together to get things done, to, to provide solutions to problems, to make sure that we, that we worked together and created jobs. That's how we're going to beat Donald Trump. That's how we're going to win Michigan and the country. Senator Amy Klobuchar. Let's get real. Tonight, we debate, but ultimately, we have to beat Donald Trump. My background, it's a little different than his. I stand before you today as a granddaughter of an iron ore miner, as a daughter of a union teacher and a newspaper man, as a first woman elected to the U.S. Senate from the state of Minnesota, and a candidate for president of the United States. That's because we come from a country of shared dreams. And I have had it with the racist attacks. I have had it with a president that says one thing on TV that has your back, and then you get home and you see those charges for prescription drugs and cable and college. You're going to hear a lot of promises up here. But I'm going to tell you this. Yes, I have bold ideas, but they are grounded in reality. And yes, I will make some simple promises. I can win this. I'm from the Midwest. And I have won every race, every place, every time. And I will govern with integrity, the integrity worthy of the extraordinary people of this nation. Congressman Beto O'Rourke. I'm running for president because I believe that America discovers its greatness at its moments of greatest need. This moment will define us forever. And I believe that in this test, America will be redeemed. In the face of cruelty and fear from a lawless president, we will choose to be the nation that stands up for the human rights of everyone, for the rule of law for everyone, and a democracy that serves everyone. Whatever our differences, we know that before we are anything else, we are Americans first. And we will ensure that each one of us is well enough and educated enough and paid enough to realize our full potential. We will meet these challenges here at home, and we will lead the world in those that we face abroad, successfully confronting endless war and climate change. At this moment of truth, let us pursue our national promise and make a more perfect union of everyone, by everyone, and for everyone. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I'm running for president because our country is running out of time. 
It is even bigger than the emergency of the Trump presidency. Ask yourself how somebody like Donald Trump ever gets within cheating distance of the Oval Office in the first place. It doesn't happen unless America is already in a crisis, an economy that's not working for everyone, endless war, climate change. We have lived this in my industrial Midwestern hometown. My generation has lived this as long as we have been alive, and it's only accelerating. Science tells us we have 12 years before we reach the horizon of catastrophe when it comes to our climate. By 2030, the average house in this country will cost half a million bucks, and a woman's right to choose may not even exist. We are not going to be able to meet this moment by recycling the same arguments, policies, and politicians that have dominated Washington for as long as I have been alive. We've got to summon the courage to walk away from the past and do something different. This is our shot. That is why I'm running for president. Senator Elizabeth Warren. Donald Trump disgraces the office of president every single day. And anyone on this stage tonight or tomorrow night would be a far better president. I promise no matter who our candidate is, I will work my heart out to beat Donald Trump and to elect a Democratic Congress. But our problems didn't start with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is part of a corrupt, rigged system that has helped the wealthy and the well-connected and kicked dirt in the faces of everyone else. We're not going to solve the urgent problems that we face with small ideas and spinelessness. We're going to solve them by being the Democratic Party of big structural change. We need to be the party that fights for our democracy and our economy to work for everyone. You know, I know what's broken in this country. I know how to fix it, and I will fight to make it happen. Senator Bernie Sanders. Tonight in America, as we speak, 87 million Americans are uninsured or underinsured. But the healthcare industry made $100 billion in profits last year. Tonight, as we speak, right now, 500,000 Americans are sleeping out on the street. And yet companies like Amazon that made billions in profits did not pay one nickel in federal income tax. Tonight, half of the American people are living paycheck to paycheck. And yet 49% of all new income goes to the top 1%. Tonight, the fossil fuel industry continues to receive hundreds of billions of dollars in subsidies and tax breaks while they destroy this planet. We have got to take on Trump's racism, his sexism, xenophobia, and come together in an unprecedented, unprecedented grassroots movement to not only defeat Trump, but to transform our economy and our government. Yeah. Um, well, Steve Bullock in the opening statements, I think he said we don't need and we don't and we can't wait for a revolution. Uh, let's see. Uh, Marion Williamson said prophets are a false god. Something. Mm. Uh, say no to say no to what did you say? Say no to something we don't we don't want. Say no to what we don't want. Say yes to what we know can be true. 
weird. <laughs> it's like that kind of that that inspirational speaking kind of style of saying no to what we don't want, say yes to what we can't want to. We know to be true. Okay, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. John Delaney attacks Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders in his opening statement and compares them to McGovern, Mondale, and Dukakis. Walter Mondale. Yeah. Let's see. George McGovern and Michael Dukakis, I think, three failed left-wing presidential candidates from the past, from like the 70s and 80s and stuff. 60s, mm-hmm. 70s and 80s, maybe even. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I wasn't there for a lot of that, but <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, you know, it, it begs the question, what about Hillary Clinton? You know, she, you know, this was, yeah. the, this was the reasonable moderate that was supposed to not be the, the Mondale, the Dukakis, the uh, McGovern. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you can't talk about those three without also talking about her, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, let's see, Tim Ryan, Hickenlooper, Klobuchar, Beto O'Rourke, nothing really noteworthy about their openings, I guess. Uh, Pete, Ma- Pete Buttigieg said, ask yourself how someone like Donald Trump even gets within cheating distance of the Oval Office in the first place, which was a pretty good line for his opening there. It's uh, yeah. because, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Like he didn't win. He basically cheated. I mean, like there were right. a lot of a lot of factors and stuff like how did he even get that close to it? It's you know, that's the stupid thing. Um, Elizabeth Warren said. Uh, let's see. Small ideas and spinelessness aren't going to solve our problems. Yeah. Good line. And yeah, I didn't really make any notes on Bernie's opening statement there, but yeah, that was, you know, that was kind of their openings, I guess, some of them. Mm-hmm. So healthcare. Oh yeah. Oh, well, what do you think of the uh, framing of the questions though? Because I, I kept, I, I actually thought Bernie made a good point in that he said that Jake Tapper was basically asking the questions as if it was a Republican talking point. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you get everything covered, by Medicare for all, it's yeah. not really taking something from people to not have private insurance. So if they don't pay for it anyway and it gets the coverage that they want, it's not like 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 I just that's the wrong way to say it. Like like it's not taking something from someone; it's replacing it with something that covers everybody. It's not yeah. that's not the way and to ask you, the question. You should drop in like the audio of Jake Tapper's question, which was a bullshit question. It was like. And Senator Sanders, let's start with you. You support Medicare for all, which would eventually take private health insurance away from more than 150 million Americans in exchange for government-sponsored health care for everyone. Congressman Delaney just referred to it as bad policy, and previously he has called the idea political suicide that will just get President Trump reelected. What do you say to Congressman Delaney? You're wrong. Right now, we have a dysfunctional health care system, 87 million uninsured or underinsured, $500,000, 500,000 Americans every year going bankrupt because of medical bills, 30,000 people dying while the health care industry makes tens of billions of dollars in profit. Five minutes away from here, John, is a country. It's called Canada. They guarantee health care to every man, woman, and child as a human right. They spend half of what we spend. And by the way, when you end up in a hospital in Canada, you come out with no bill at all. 
Health care is a human right, not a privilege. I believe that. I will fight for that. Thank you, Senator Sanders. Congressman Delaney? Well, I'm right about this. We can create a universal health care system to give everyone basic health care for free, and I have a proposal to do it. But we don't have to go around and be the party of subtraction and telling half the country who has private health insurance that their health insurance is illegal. My dad, the union electrician, loved the health care he got from the IBEW. He would never want someone to take that away. Half of Medicare beneficiaries now have Medicare Advantage, which is private insurance or supplemental plans. It's also bad policy. It'll underfund the industry. Many Thank hospitals you, will close, and it's bad Sen policy. Senator Sanders, I want to... I was also mentioned in I, this. We're going to come to you in one second, but let me go to Senator <laughs> Sanders uh, right now. Senator Sanders? The fact of the matter is, tens of millions of people lose their health insurance every single year when they change jobs, when their employer changes that insurance. If you want stability in the health care system, if you want a system which gives you freedom of choice with regard to doctor or hospital, which is a system which will not bankrupt you, the answer is to get rid of the profiteering <coughs> of the you, drug Senator. companies and the insurance companies you, moved to Medicare for all. But now he's talking about a different issue. What I'm talking about is really simple. We should deal with the tragedy of the uninsured and give everyone health care as a right. But why do we got to be the party of taking something away no, from people? No one is the party. Hold, hold That's on what they're Senator. running on. They're no. running on telling half the country that your health insurance is illegal. It says it right in the bill. All right, thank we you. don't have to do that. We can give everyone health care and allow people to have no. choice. That's the American way. Look, thank you, Congressman. Senator Warren. So look, let's, let's be clear about this. We are the Democrats. We are not about trying to take away health care from anyone. That's what the Republicans are trying to do. And we should stop using Republican talking points in order to talk with each other about how to best provide that health care. Now, I want to have a chance to tell the story about my friend, Addie Barkin. Addie is 35 years old. He has a wife, Rachel. He has a cute little boy named Carl. He also has ALS, and it's killing him. Addie has health insurance, good health Senator, insurance, and it's not Senator, nearly enough. I want to, I'm, gonna, I'm coming right, I'm staying with you. I'm staying with you, but, but you, you it exceeded your time. And so let me just stay with you on Medicare for All. All right. At the last debate, you said you're, quote, with Bernie on Medicare for All. Now, Senator Sanders has said that people in the middle class will pay more in taxes to help pay for Medicare for All, though that will be offset by the elimination of insurance premiums and other costs. Are you also, quote, with Bernie on Medicare for All when it comes to raising taxes on middle-class Americans so to pay for giant it? giant corporations and billionaires are going to pay more. Middle-class families are going to pay less out-of-pocket for their health care. And I'd like to finish talking about Addy, the guy who has ALS. This isn't funny. <clears throat> this is somebody who has health insurance and is dying. And every month, he has about $9,000 in medical bills that his insurance company won't cover. His wife, Rachel, is on the phone for hours and hours and hours begging the insurance company, please cover what the doctors say he needs. He talks about what it's like to go online with thousands of other people to beg friends, family, and strangers for money so he can cover his medical expenses. The basic profit model of an insurance company 
is taking as much money as you can in premiums and pay out as little as possible in health care coverage. That is not working Thank for you. Americans across this country. Thank you, Senator. Medicare for all will fix that, and that's why Thank I'll you, fight Senator. for Thank you, Senator. Just it. a point of clarification in 15 Dave. extra seconds. Would you raise taxes on the middle class to pay for Medicare for all, uh, offset, obviously, by the elimination of insurance premiums? Yes or no? Costs will go up for billionaires and go up for corporations. For middle-class families, costs, total costs will go down. Let me, Governor, Bullock, I want, Governor Bullock, I want to bring you in. You do not support Medicare for all. How do you respond to Senator Warren? No, healthcare is so personal to all of us. Never forget when my 12-year-old son had a heart attack within 24 hours of his life. Had to be life-flighted to Salt Lake City. But because we had good insurance, he's here with me tonight. At the end of the day, I'm not going to support any plan that rips away quality health care from individuals. This is an example of wish list economics. It used to be just Republicans wanted to repeal and replace. Now many Democrats do as well. We can get there with a public option, negotiating drug prices, ending. Thank you, Governor Bullock. Bernie Sanders, you, you favor taking away people's private health insurance in exchange for you know, government approved, da, 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 da. And it, it, it's like, yeah, that, I mean, you're you, first you're asking that he's taking something away, which is the wrong framing. And number two, and then you're kind of throwing in there this, oh, government provided insurance, which, you know, the, the Republicans have basically effectively made government provided or government sponsored a, a dirty word. I mean, it was an extremely, extremely conservative talking point there. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah, I've been seeing some various things from Jake Tapper recently. I think he had an interview with, uh, with, uh, uh, one of the squad there recently. Uh, what, do you know who I'm talking about? Um, uh, God, I can't remember her name right now. Edit, <laughs> but he was, you know, he was extremely like, he's telling her like, like, well, you know, the Palestinian American woman, um, and he's telling her, like, why do you criticize Israel so much Rashida when you don't criticize? Yeah, yeah. He's Rashida Tlaib. He's like, why do you criticize Israel so much when you don't criticize Saudi Arabia or you don't want to boycott, divest, and et cetera, the Saudi Arabia and Egypt and da 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 all these other countries? It's like. So you talk about the hate agenda, and you know you have heard there have been criticisms of you from even your fellow Democrats especially for your support for the BDS movement, which stands for Boycott, Divest, Sanction. Uh, it's an anti-Israel movement. Um, well, uh, or, it's, it's, it's uh, anti, it's, it's, it's criticizing the racist policies of Israel. Okay. And it's a boycott, right? I mean, I think folks don't know when you say BDS, especially in the uh, country, when you say BDS, they don't, they're not sure what it means. Boycott, Divest, Sanction. I, I want to get your yeah. reaction to something that Senator Schumer said about BDS, which is a movement you support. Yes. He said, quote, when there is such a double standard, when the world treats everybody one way and the Jew or the Jewish state another way, there's only one word for it, anti-Semitism. Let us call out the BDS movement for what it is. And I think one of the questions that Senator Schumer and other supporters of Israel might have is, why focus on just Israel? Why not also call for sanctions against other countries where you might have issues such as Egypt or Pakistan or Saudi Arabia? Oh, absolutely. And I think if there was an economic boycott movement around Saudi Arabia, I'd be the first to sign up for it. Um, I, I can tell you they're all around college campuses. 
um, there are Jews, Muslims, Hindus, all different kinds of backgrounds who are pushing back against racist policies in Israel because they see that um, the human rights violations of children being detained, uh, the fact that my grandmother who lives in the West Bank right now does not have equality. She doesn't have freedom of travel. Um, she is someone that right now under occupation uh, is feeling less than. And I grew up in the most blackest, beautiful city in the country, where every corner in Detroit here, you will see uh, a reminiscence of the civil rights movement, of the labor rights movement. And we did it through economic boycott. It is a form of freedom of speech. But people want to dismiss it because they're trying to say it's anti-Semitism. That's the way to try to discredit the fact that we all know, under Netanyahu's regime, mm. human rights violations have gotten worse. And we need to be well, able not, to why use- Why not boycott Egypt? They have, oh, they have I would rights. boycott Egypt, of course. But you keep I'm saying very you would, critical. You would boycott oh, Saudi Arabia. You. you would boycott Egypt, but you're but not. But right now, there is not a bill or resolution on the floor that is saying stop boycotting Egypt. But you could. But I, of course. And I would absolutely oppose any sort of oppression, of freedom of speech, of First Amendment right in this country. It's a slippery slope, Jake, because tomorrow, if, if folks want to uh, you know, boycott Saudi Arabia and there's a movement and it's got a name, uh, they're going to go ahead and pass a resolution saying you don't have freedom of speech, you don't have a right to f First Amendment. You can't be double standard. But, of course, I would oppose any kind of oppression of that sort, of, freedom, of, of, of dismissing somebody's right, First Amendment right. And we have cases around the country from teachers who don't even know what's going on in Israel, who do not feel like they should wipe away their First Amendment right to be able to speak out through economic boycott. I know you want to talk about Michigan, so just let's last question on this. Do you think the Jewish people have the right to a state in the area where Israel exists now? Look, I, I truly believe the state of Israel is ex it exists, correct? But understand, does it exist in the detriment of inequality for the Palestinian people? Detriment of not really moving forward in a peaceful resolution. We're never going to have peace, I truly believe, if separate but equal is the way they want to go. And I can tell you, I learned that from my African-American teachers in Detroit public schools who showed me what the pain of oppression looks like. We're not going to have peace if we don't understand that we are dehumanizing Palestinians every single day when we choose Israel over their rights. But and yes or no, does Israel have a right to exist? Oh, of course. Okay. But just like Palestinians have a right to exist, Palestinians also have a right to human rights. We can't say one or the other. We have to say it in the same breath or we're not going to actually have a peaceful resolution. Dude, you are talking to a Palestinian American. Why are you asking her about countries that are not Palestine? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's like... You know, you, number one, you're you're coming at this from the wrong, you know, again, a very conservative um, kind of, you know, framework framing. And number two, you're like asking a Palestinian, like, why don't you care about all the other countries as much as Palestine? Like, it's a stupid, you know, it's a stupid framing. It's a stupid way to ask the question. And it, and it ignores the obvious answer, which is which, you know, she didn't get into directly, but like she answered in a different way and also a smart way. But mm -hmm. it's like, you, you, you know. You, I don't know, you can't, you can't ask, like, I don't know, it's, I, it's hard to even come up with a good example, but it's like, I don't, I don't know, you don't ask somebody who's like a German American, what do they think of Portuguese exports, right? <laughs> it's just like, I mean, there, I mean, that's a bad analogy, but it's like, there's not even really a good analogy for it, but it's like, you know. I don't know. It was it was just a yeah. Jake Tapper has been very disappointing recently in a couple of instance instances. I think so. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he yeah, didn't do himself like many Jake favors. Tapper, but yeah, this, yeah, this time I didn't like I didn't like the way he asked a lot of those questions. But 
Yeah, recently I've been noticing. I, I used to kind of like him too, or whatever. He's got a pretty good, no nonsense kind of newsman, serious person vibe and everything. But yeah, mm-hmm. recently he needs to he needs to course correct on that, or you know, or whatever. Yeah. So, um, let's see. Yeah, Jake Tapper. I, I wrote this down, and again, my handwriting is so small. Actually, it's kind of hard to read. Um. <laughs> Let's see. Jay Tapper's question. You support Medicare for all, which would eventually take private health care away from more than 150 million Americans in exchange for government sponsored health care for everyone. And that was this question. OK, so you want to take away health care from 150 million Americans. Wrong framing right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You're doing the Republicans job for them. This is the Democratic j- debate, Tapper. You know, <laughs> And it's just ridiculous question. Um, let's see. Let's see. Um, well, let's see. Congressman Delaney jumped in. He said, let's see. Um, uh, well, OK, Jake Tapper says Congressman Delaney uh, just referred to it as bad policy, and previously he has called the idea political suicide that will just get President Trump reelected. What do you say to Congressman Delaney? Bernie Sanders just said, you're wrong. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Delaney, says, well, I'm, Delaney says, well, I'm right about this, but we don't have to go around and be the party of subtraction. And, uh, at this point, Elizabeth Warren tried to jump in. My name was also mentioned there. <laughs> and... Let's see. Then Delaney. But now he's talking about a different issue. But why do we get why do we why do we got to be the party of taking things, taking anything away? And Warren said, no, no one is the party. We are the we are the Democrats. We are not taking away health care from anyone. That's what the Republicans are trying to do. And we should stop using Republican Mm -hmm. talking points, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. So, yeah, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren both calling out the kind of the Republican framing of the debate Mm -hmm. by Tapper and Delaney and others. So, um, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, that was when Bullock jumped in at some point. I'll never forget my when my 12 year old son had a heart attack within 24 hours of his uh, life. Um, uh, but because we had good because we had good insurance. Uh, da da da. Something something. Yeah. He's here with me tonight. He had to fight for his life. Uh, sorry, my, my note-taking was pretty shoddy this time. <laughs> but yeah, we talked about that already. His tone was like really triumphant and stuff about private insurance and how it saved his son's life. It's like, okay, could government insurance have not done that? Do you think that would have not have done that because it saved your son's life? Do you think it's adequate for you know all the millions of people in America? Um, you know, mm-hmm. a, lot of, a lot of questions to that that can come. Yeah, I'm honestly pretty sick of the personal example thing when they used it to answer a question. Like, mm-hmm. I was talking to Steve in Dayton, Ohio yesterday, and he told me that it's like, I don't care. And I have no way to fact check that either. There's no way I can find Steve and the in news, Ohio. The, and this and is something else that comes really up happened. to me. Like, the, the news doesn't fact check it either. Like in the second debate, and this is something we'll get to tomorrow, like, I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, Williamson, I think, went after Harris and said, uh, you fought to prevent evidence from coming out that would have let an innocent man off of death row until the government basically made you do it. The judge made you do it. 
It's like, okay, I want to read that story. You know, CNN, Fox News, whoever, somebody get on that story. What, what exactly, who was the inmate? What was the crime? What was the situation? What did Harris do? Is Williamson right? We don't know. You know, it's just a talking point in a fucking debate. It's like, yeah, uh, like, I don't care about the personal stories. These are anecdotes. You don't win arguments with anecdotes or you shouldn't. (laughs) And number two, I'm tired of hearing about, you know, like somebody, you know, when I'm back in Colorado, we were the first state to da 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 da. It's like, yes, everybody has little, you know, things that they can talk about that their state did that they're proud of. But it's like, I don't know. It's it's just like, I mean, you watch this thing for, you know, two and a half hours and you come out and you, you know, you remember who had a few zingers or something. But do you know exactly where everybody stood on every issue? You have no idea because they've. They've all equivocated and talked about, well, I support what you want, but I just don't think it's realistic, so I don't actually support it. It's like, (laughs) do you actually have any idea where anybody really stands on things most of the time on every single issue after a two and a half hour debate? No, because they're wasting time with a bunch of personal stories. And, yeah, I got somebody in the audience tonight and, you know, somebody died and health insurance and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's just it's just a bunch of. It's it's a it's an old form of debating, I think, that is mm-hmm. continuing, that is not conducive to people actually understanding where people stand. So, yeah, I also think on a side note, I think somebody told Pete Buttigieg to say theoretical a lot and say it's things are not theoretical, because I think that like he is probably rightly assuming that people mostly think he's too inexperienced and he's too young to be president and stuff. And so, like, I think that, but I, I just keep noticing every time, every time he answers in the first debate, and then this one, he's always like, "It's not theoretical for me." And it's like, okay, dude. Yeah, <laughs> like, I get it. <laughs> yeah, there was there was another line that he had later in the debate, which was like, um, "Oh God, it's I don't know. I've got I've got like two pages of notes on this one, two and a half, three pages, <laughs> four pages of notes, I guess. It's a mess." <laughs> <laughs> but he said, like, um, what did he say? He said, the racial divide lives within me because I'm I'm an urban mayor. I'm like, dude, no, no, it doesn't. You're a white dude from Indiana, motherfucker. So am I. <laughs> you know, it's the, the racial. I don't know. I mean, somebody like I mean, Harris or, you know. Maybe Booker or somebody like that. They could say the racial divide maybe lives in them, maybe, <laughs> right? but not not Pete Buttigieg. And that was obviously like a preloaded line that he had. Who thought that was a good idea of a line? <laughs> Who thought that? Well, I guess they thought since uh, Cory Booker and uh, and uh, Kamala Harris weren't on the stage, maybe he could get away with it or something. So. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a clunker for sure. Yeah. A little bit tone deaf. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you could say like as the mayor of a a town that has a large, you know, African-American population, I deal with racial issues, but you can't say it lives inside of you. That's right up there with like when Beto O'Rourke said he was born for this. Like, I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cannot be determined. We, we don't know. We need to see more evidence, need to see some evidence for that. We, you know. No, no citation found. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm looking for. So. Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's a clunker. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyways, the healthcare stuff continued. Um, I want to bring in Mayor Buttigieg on the topic of whether or not the middle class should pay 
higher taxes in exchange for guaranteed health care and the elimination of insurance premiums. How do you respond, Mayor? So we don't have to stand up here speculating about whether the public option will be better than, or a Medicare for all environment will be better than the corporate options. We can put it to the test. That's the concept of my Medicare for all who want it proposal. That way, if people like me are right, that the public alternative is going to be not only more comprehensive, but more affordable than any of the corporate options around there. We'll see Americans walk away from the corporate options into that Medicare option, and it will become Medicare for so all just, without us having wait, to kick anybody 15, off the insurance. Just 15 seconds on the clarification. You are willing to raise taxes on middle-class Americans in order to have universal coverage with the disappearance of insurance premiums, yes or no? I think you can buy into it. That's the idea of Medicare for all who want it. Look, this is a distinction without a difference whether you're paying the same money in the form of taxes or premiums. Look, in this country, if you have health coverage, if you don't have health coverage, you're paying too much for care. And if you do have health coverage, you're paying Thank too you, much Mayor for Buttigieg. care. Jay. I want to bring in Congressman O'Rourke <clears throat> on the topic of whether the middle class should pay higher taxes in exchange for universal coverage and the elimination of insurance premiums. What's your response? The answer is no. The middle class will not pay more in taxes in order to ensure that every American is guaranteed world-class health care. I think we're being offered a false choice. Some who want to improve the Affordable Care Act at the margins, others who want a Medicare for all program that will force people off of private insurance. I have a better path. Medicare for America. Everyone who's uninsured is enrolled in Medicare tomorrow. Those who are insufficiently insured are enrolled in Medicare. Just a 15 seconds. And those who, who have employer-sponsored insurance. Who's offering a false, Jake, false choice here? Who's offering a false choice here? You, you have some. Uh, Governor Bullock, who said that we will uh, improve the Affordable Care Act at the margins with a public option. You have others, to my okay. right, who are talking about taking away people's choice for the private insurance they have or members of unions. I was listening to Thank D. You, Taylor in Let Nevada. His, his he members just said you're, the he just said you're offering a false for. choice, sir. Congressman, not at all. You know, it took us decades and false starts to get the Affordable Care Act. So let's actually build on it. A public option allowing anyone to buy in. You know, we pay more for prescription drugs than any place actually in the world. We've got nothing to show for it. <laughs> Negotiate prescription drug prices in surprise medical billing. That's the way that we can get there without disrupting the lives of 160 million people Congressman who like their employer-sponsored health insurance. Congressman O'Rourke, every, every estimate that I've seen of expanding ACA, even through a public option, still leaves millions of people uninsured and also means that people are not guaranteed the health care that they need, as the example that Senator Warren showed us. Our plan ensures that everyone is enrolled in Medicare or can keep their employer-sponsored insurance. When we listen to the American people, and this is what they want us to do, they want everyone covered, but they want to be able to Thank maintain you, choice, and our plan does that. Thank you, Congressman. I want to bring in Senator Klobuchar. Senator Warren, at the beginning of the night, said that Democrats cannot, bring, cannot win the White House with small ideas and spinelessness. In the last debate, she said, the politicians who are not supporting Medicare for all simply lack the will to fight for it. You do not support Medicare for all. Is Senator Warren correct? Do you just not lack the will to fight for it? Uh, that is incorrect. I just have a better way to do this. And in one of my first debates, Jake, um, I was called a street fighter from the Iron Range by my opponent. And when she said it, I said, thank you. So this is what I think we need to get done. We need the public option. That's what Barack Obama wanted. And it would bring health care costs down for everyone. 
And by the way, I just don't buy this. I've heard some of these candidates say that it's somehow not moral if you, um, not moral to not have that public option. Well, Senator Sanders was actually on a public option bill last year, and that was Bernie, the Medicaid public option bill that Senator Schatz introduced. Clearly, this is the easiest way to move forward quickly, and I want to get things done. People can't wait. I've got my friend uh, Nicole out there whose son was actually died trying to ration his insulin as a restaurant manager, and he died because he didn't have enough money to pay for it. Senator, and Bernie okay. and I have worked on pharmaceutical Thank you, issues Senator. together. Yeah, we can get author, less Senator Sanders, I'm going to go to Senator Sanders, then the Senator author, Warren, because we both have mentioned. The author Senator of Sanders. the Medicare bill, let me clear up one thing. As people talk about having insurance, there are millions of people who have insurance, they can't go to the doctor, and when they come out of the hospital, they go bankrupt, all right? <laughs> what I am talking about, and others up here are talking about, is no deductibles and no co-payments. And Jake, your question is a Republican talking point. At the end of the day, and by the way, and by the way, by the way, the healthcare industry will be advertising tonight on this program. Thank you, Senator. Senator Warren, it's your turn. Oh, can I complete that, please? And your time is up. They 30 will be seconds. advertising tonight with that talking point. Senator Warren. So we have to think of this in terms of the big frame. What's the problem in Washington? It works great for the wealthy. It works great for those who can hire armies of lobbyists and lawyers. And it keeps working great for the insurance companies and the drug companies. What it's going to take is real courage to fight back against them. These insurance companies do not have a God-given right to make $23 billion in profits and suck it out of our health care system. Thank you, they do not have a God-given right you, to put forms in place Thank you, Senator. If we could all just stick to the rules of the time, that would be great. Congressman so Delaney. I'm the only one on the stage who actually has experience in the healthcare business, and with all due respect, I don't think my colleagues understand the business. We have the public That's option, which is business. great. The public option is great, but it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough. I'm proposing universal health care, where everyone gets health care as a basic human right for free, but they have choices. My plan, Better Care, is fully paid for without raising middle-class tax options. So when we think Thank about you, this debate, there's Medicare Thank for you, All, which is extreme. I, I, was I, want, to bring Governor, I want to bring in Governor Hickenlooper. Governor Hickenlooper, I, I'd like to hear what you have to say about Senator Warren's suggestion that those people on the stage who are not in favor of Medicare for All lack the political will to fight for it. Well, obviously, I disagree with that as much as I respect both of the senators to my right. You know, I think it comes down to that question of Americans being used to being able to make choices, to have the right to make a decision. And I think proposing a public option that allows some form of Medicare, that maybe is a combination of, of Medicare Advantage and Medicare, but people choose it, and if enough people choose it, it, it expands, the quality improves, the cost comes down, more people choose it. Eventually, in 15 years, you could get there, but it would be an evolution, not a revolution. Thank you, Congressman. Senator Warren. You know, Jake. we have tried this experiment with the insurance companies. And what they've done is they've sucked billions of dollars out of our health care system. And they force people to have to fight to try to get the health care coverage that their doctors and nurses say that they need. 
Why does everybody, why does every doctor, why does every hospital have to fill out so many complicated forms? It's because it gives insurance companies a chance to say no and to push that cost back on the patients. Thank you, Senator That's Warren. I want to bring in uh, Marianne Williamson. Ms. Williamson, how do you respond to the criticism from Senator Warren that you're not willing to fight for Medicare for all? <laughs> I, I don't know. If Senator Warren said that about me specifically. I admire very much what Senator Warren has said and what Bernie has said. But I have to say, I have a, I'm normally way over there with Bernie and Elizabeth on this one. I hear the others, and I, I have some concern about that as well. And I do have concern about what the Republicans would say, and that's not just a Republican talking point. I do have concern that it will be difficult. I have concern that it will make it harder to win. And I have concern that it will make it harder to govern. Because if that's our big fight, you, then Ms. the Williams, Republicans sir. will so shut I us down on Mayor everything Buttigieg. else. Mayor Buttigieg, it is response. time to stop worrying about what the Republicans will say. Look, yes. if. If, if it's true that if we embrace a far-left agenda, they're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. If we embrace a conservative agenda, you know what we're, they're going to do? They're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. So let's just stand up for the right policy, go out there and defend it. That's the policy I'm putting forward, not because I think it's the right triangulation between Republicans here and Democrats there, because I think it's the right answer for people like my mother-in-law, who is here, <laughs> whose life was saved by the ACA, but who is still far too vulnerable to the fact that the insurance industry Thank you, does Mayor not Buttigieg. care about Senator, okay. Senator Sanders, your response? Let's be okay. clear what this debate is about. Nobody can defend the dysfunctionality of the current system. What we are taking on is the fact that over the last 20 years, the drug companies and the insurance companies have spent four and a half billion dollars of your health insurance money on lobbying and campaign contributions. That is why when I went to Canada the other day, people paid one-tenth the price in Canada for insulin you, that they're paying in the United States. I want to bring States. in Congressman Tim Ryan. Thank Congressman you. Ryan, your response? So here we, here we are in Detroit, home of the United Auto Workers. We have all our union friends here tonight. This plan that's being offered by Senator Warren and Senator Sanders will tell those union members who gave away wages in order to get good health care that they're going to lose their health care because Washington's going to come in and tell them they got a better plan. This is the left and right thing. New and better is this. Move Medicare down to 50. Allow people to buy in. Kaiser Permanente said that if they, those 60 million people do that, they will see a 40% reduction you, in their health care costs. Let businesses you, buy in, Jake. So, Senator, and, let, let, let's talk about that. Um, if Medicare for All is enacted, there are more than 600,000 union members here in Michigan who would be forced to give up their private health care plans. Now, I understand that it would provide universal coverage, but can you guarantee those union members that the benefits under Medicare for All will be as good as the benefits that their representatives, their union reps, fought hard to negotiate? Well, two things. They will be better because Medicare for All is comprehensive. It covers all health care needs for senior citizens. It will finally include dental care, hearing aids, and eyeglasses. But you don't know Second that. of all. You don't know that, Second Bernie. of all. We'll come to you in a second, I, I do know, and I wrote the damn bill. <laughs> and second of all, second of all, many of our union brothers and sisters, nobody more pro-union than me up here, are now paying high deductibles and co-payments. And when we do Medicare for all, 
instead of having the company putting money into health care, they can get decent wage increases, which they're not getting today. I just want to, I want to bring in Congressman Ryan to respond to what Senator Sanders has I said. Mean, Senator Sanders does not know all of the union contracts in the United States. I'm, I'm trying to explain that these union members are losing their jobs. Their wages have been stagnant. The world is crumbling around them. The only thing they have is possibly really good health care. And the Democratic message is going to be, we're going to go in, and the only thing you have left, we're going to take it, and we're going to do better. I do not think that's a recipe for success for us. It's bad policy, and it's certainly bad politics. Congressman Delaney? So the bill that Senator Sanders drafted, by definition, will lower quality in health care, because it says specifically that the rates will be the same as current Medicare rates. And the data is clear. Medicare does not cover the cost of health care. It covers 80% of the cost of health care in this country. And private insurance covers 120%. So if you start underpaying all the health care providers, you're going to create a, a two-tier market where wealthy people buy their health care with cash, and the people who are forced, like my dad, the union electrician, Thank will you, have that health care plan taken away from him. Thank you, they will be forced into an underfunded system. I want to give Senator Sanders a chance to respond. On the Medicare for all, the hospitals will save substantial sums of money because they're not going to be spending a fortune doing billing and the other bureaucratic things that they have to do today. I've done Second of all, maybe you did that and made money off of health care, but our job is to run a nonprofit health care <laughs> system. Furthermore, furthermore, when we save $500 billion a year by ending all of the incredible complexities that are driving every American crazy trying to deal with the health insurance company. Thank you, Hospitals Senator. will be better Congressman off Delaney, than I want to let you have a chance to respond. Listen, his math is wrong. That's all I'm saying. That his math is wrong. It's been well documented that if all the bills were paid at Medicare rate, which is specifically, I think it's in Section 1200 of their bill, then many hospitals in this country would close. I've been going around rural America, and I ask rural hospital administrators one question. If all your bills were paid at the Medicare rate last year, what would happen? And they all look at me and say, we would close. But the question is, why do we have to be so extreme? Why can't we just give everyone health care as a right and allow them to have choice? Thank I'm you, starting to think this is so, not about health care. This is no, an anti-private sector strategy. We're going to move on to the issue of immigration now. There is... Uh, let's see, he said, wish list economics, Republicans want to repeal, and it used to be Republicans wanted to repeal in place, but now Democrats want to repeal and replace Obamacare too. Um, Buttigieg says, Medicare for all who want it. Uh, he said, he had another line, in this country, if you don't have health coverage, you're paying too much for it, health care, and if you do have health care coverage, you're paying too much for health care. So, kind of a good line from Buttigieg, we just said a bad line, now there's a good line. Mm -hmm. um, uh, let's see. O'Rourke said, no one in the middle class will pay more in taxes. Uh, Bullock said, others to my right are offering a false choice. Oh, no, O'Rourke said, Bullock and others to my right, which means Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are offering a false choice. Um, yeah. Klobuchar. Um, I was called a street fighter in the, from the Iron Range by my opponent. And when she said it, I said, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know what uh, – I don't know. It's 
I, Bob, I'm, I'm really, really, really looking forward to when we can get this down to one debate stage and a lot of the <laughs> chafe has been stripped away from this thing because, you know, it's, it's frustrating. Like, you know, when you just a few weeks after the first time we did a lot of work for the first uh, two debates and stuff, oh, yeah. it took a lot of time. And it's like, I want to get it down to where I'm watching one debate, not two debates within 48 hours of each other. You know, it's like 24 hours of each other. It's well, and it's, it's like load. five, it's, yeah, it's five hours, even with, without the, even without the commercials, like to watch all these debates. And it's like, you don't need these many people. Like, I think it's going to be down to one stage next time. Cause I think they've only said that eight people have, gotten into the one in september i'll have to look that up but yeah well i mean they've still got i mean they've still got a month and a half or whatever to do it so right wait wait yeah yeah wait wait hold on let me think about that no half a month what is it now august 8th yeah august 8th so august september so yeah like about a month i guess but they still got a, a, a month to hit that number for everybody but yeah i'm really 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 looking forward to getting rid of some of these people yeah so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, well, this, yeah. not not to extend this out even further, but uh, I was listening to a New York Times podcast yesterday, and they were talking about how um, they basically have created through the DNC's rules this, like, trying to, like, they try to get $1 donations from people because that counts as a single donation. And oh, that's yeah, is this how the thing where they're, for the, they're spending, the like, $1.20 to get a dollar back? Oh, way more than that. I think they're spending, like, $70 to get one new dollar. Uh, it's, like, <laughs> 70 to 1. Like, so basically they have to, like, get money from rich people to get money from poor people just so it counts as more times that being donated. I don't know. It's insane. Yeah. And it's a perverse incentive structure. And it's an understandable thing how we got here. But you take one look at that New York Times map of donors Mm -hmm. across the country and you see, you know, like like almost everything in this this Democratic primary, Bernie set the mold and did the thing organically. And now everybody else is playing catch up with that and trying to do it inorganically. And it's just just go with what's real, people, (laughs) you know. So I don't know, but yeah, yeah, I, I want these people, a lot of them, I want them gone for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Sanders at one point here said, and Jake, your question is a Republican talking point, which was, you know, a good, good line. And then he started to say something else about, uh, you know, the healthcare industry will be advertising on this tonight on the thing. And Jake Tapper heard him along and stuff. And he jumped <laughs> in and shot in another line about how, Oh, you're going to, you're going to edit me now, or you're going to cut me off now. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Let's see. Warren said these insurance companies do not have a God given right to make $23 billion in profits and suck it out of our healthcare system, which is, you know, I think an important point. It's like, yeah, we keep talking about like these people are at the table and they deserve to have their place at the table. It's like, maybe they don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So um, that was that. Hickenlooper and Williamson said something. I didn't really record. Williamson seemed like okay. Williamson's interesting because they tried to play her against Bernie and Warren there too, and she said, "Well, I'm I'm usually right there with uh, way over there with Bernie and Elizabeth Warren, but uh, I can see the other people's point on this too." And uh, da 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 da. And then there was an interview with uh, Cenk Uger on Young Turks right after the uh, the debate, and she basically walked back and said, like he said, well, you're on the same side as like, 
as Hickenlooper and the other guy or whatever or something. And she said, oh, I, I didn't even realize that. I, I don't want to be over there. Gosh, I, I think I'm going to have to reconsider. He's like, well, can I get you to change your opinion right now? And she's like, well, I'm going to reconsider it. And I, I, I don't want to see myself as being on that side of the party or something. So mm-hmm. you might drop that audio in there if possible. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I, I didn't agree with your answer, but you did kill it on a couple of other issues. Okay. You know what I want you to know. When I said what I said, I felt dirty after I said it. I felt like, you know, I felt like, you know, I maybe had to, I had to say it. I so I the needle really moved for me on that tonight. When I because hearing it from them, and having to say to myself, "You're agreeing with John Delaney here. You're really being pulled over here." <laughs> and I could just feel. I, I felt I was going to have people like yourself, like on my text. I still have a little question, and I still have that little bitch, Hank, on uh, the insurance. Let's talk about that for a second, since we're already mid-conversation on that. Uh, So there is this irony that that you you score so well when you talk against corporate rule, and you did it again tonight. And on the issue of Medicare for All, you seem like... You know, you're stuck on that one. It feels like you're almost in mid-evolution. I am. But that, I am. I am. And that, that's the truth of the matter. But I think the needle moved left today. That's really interesting. So you think the needle moved for you a little bit when you saw yourself yeah. in the middle of the debate agreeing with John Delaney? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that makes you more likely to think about it more and maybe more move more towards... I mean, I've heard you. I've heard Elizabeth. I've heard Bernie. I've heard I've heard Mr. Lighty. Um I also have a lot of people I respect who, you know, as one friend of mine said, you know, Americans don't like to be told they can't have mustard on their hot dog. I, I get that too. I, I, uh, Congressman Hodes here, I don't know if you know Paul Hodes, we've, I've had many hours of conversation about this. In fact, he was on the conversation with Michael Lighty the other day. You're going to have to give me a little more time, but I'm, the needle moved for me tonight. I have. So just so that people are clear, because it's really important, because a lot of people heard you as kind of for a middle position and not necessarily for Medicare for All tonight. But you're leaving the door open oh, oh, to, to being for Medicare for All in the future? But as I said to you the other day, but even Bernie's plan talks about a four-year transition. Congresswoman Paul's plan talks about a two-year transition. So they're basically, the only thing that it seems to me we're talking about here is the issue of whether or not people will be able to keep their private insurance. Because they're transitional as well. Am I wrong about this? So they do have a transition that gets to Medicare for all. And so the argument that I think you made tonight will sound to people like you don't want to eventually wind up there. Oh, God, no. Oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, I've never been that. I've never been that. No, oh, no, no, no. That, oh, that's really depressing that it sounded that way. Yeah. No. So, so then no. What, do, what do you view as the role for private insurance? Let's put it this way, eventually. Any eventually role? Eventually. Okay. Eventually. Eventually they're gone. It's, they, they are as, they, they perform as greedily as Elizabeth Frenzen was saying tonight. They, it is horrible. They take a lot of money and give as little care as possible. I'm very aware of that. I remember when I had my own daughter, and the doctor didn't want me to have to leave the hospital that fast, and the insurance companies made me. And I, that was my first, that was an experience of that. You know, my daughter's 29 years old, and I remember how angry the doctor was, and it was my first real exposure to my personal experience. He didn't want me to leave that fast. So so I, I get that. There, there's no, there's no uh, ambiguity about that for me. 
it's a terrible, terrible example of, of corporate greed and all that. My only issue is that, you know, that some people want it for whatever reason, and, and this idea of taking it away from people, I, I'm not, I'm not but, totally there yet. Marian, I actually want to give you credit for something unprecedented. I have never seen anyone in a political debate come out of a debate and say, I was somewhat persuaded by the ideas of the people I was debating. I've literally never seen that in my life. I was going to text you. I was going to text <laughs> you tonight. I didn't know you were going to be here. No. Yeah. No, no. Well, look. we're talking the gold standard here. We're talking Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's that that level of open-mindedness you will never see from a politician because they're too scripted. You just heard it from me. Okay, there you have it. I'm a new kind of politician. <laughs> okay, excellent. That's another point here. Exactly. But I, I do. I actually want to ask you about two things where I thought you did great. Uh, when you uh, talked about reparations and you said that it was a debt that is owed, I felt it resonate in the room. Have you used that terminology before? Because it seemed to really land a punch. Oh, absolutely. You know, I've had a career for 35 years working with issues of personal transformation. All a country is is a collection of people. So whether you're an individual or a country, you can't have the future you want until and unless you're willing to clean up the past. You gotta clean up your past relationships or its energy stays stuck. So I, I'm not minimizing the, the struggles or sacrifices of any of our ancestors, black or white. I'm not saying there's been no success. I'm not, I'm not minimizing the Civil Rights Act. I'm not minimizing the Voting Rights Act, although of course it's been chipped away at. But the issue of economic restitution is just a piece we haven't gotten to yet. And so the economic gap that existed at the end of the Civil War has never been closed. And at that time, Tecumseh Sherman promised to every former slave family of four, 40 acres and a mule. In the vast majority of cases, it wasn't given. Even when it was given, the vast majority of those, it was taken back. So that gap was never closed. And I think most Americans might not have really allowed themselves to think about what we're talking about here. We're talking about, I'm so, I'm so by, by the way, I want to go, I'm so, well, I'll go back to that in a minute. Let's stay with the race and then I have to go back to the health care and the Medicare for all. We're talking about 250 years of slavery that was followed by another hundred years of domestic terror and institutionalized violence against black people. And what do you call Ku Klux Klan and lynchings if not domestic terror? You're talking 350 years of institutionalized violence against black people. That is longer than, um, than the United States has even been in existence. Now at the end of World War II, Germany paid $89 billion in reparations to Jewish organizations. And, and that has gone far towards establishing reconciliation between Germany and the Jews of Germany and the rest of Europe. Uh, Ronald Reagan in 1988 signed the Civil Liberties Act where we gave to every uh, surviving prisoner during World War II, the Japanese internment camp, between twenty dollars and $22,000. So paying restitution and paying reparations is not a fringe idea. The reason I like, and this goes, the reason I like reparations as opposed to race-based policies. Race-based policies doesn't speak to whose fault it is. Reparations carry moral force. It's not just about economic restitution. It is an inherent mea culpa. It is an acknowledgement of a debt that is owed. It is the acknowledgement of the willingness on the part of a nation to pay it and payment rendered. Marianna, I'll return the favor. Uh, I, I was unsure about how to execute reparations. When I heard you say it is a debt that is owed, it resonated with me. And it made me start to think, well, that's literal. 
this country owes a debt to those people who worked all those years and never got the fruits of their labor. And so thank you for bringing that forward today, appreciate it. And many cases in which black wealth has been accumulated and then there've been state and uh, local efforts to thwart that. Yep. So you've affected my thinking so much that it's nice to think I affected yours. All right, thank you so thank much, you. Marianne, really and, appreciate and, it. And uh, I'm horrified to think I sounded like I, did, I didn't want to get there at all, oh my God. Okay. That's You'll okay. have to help me on that. Okay. You'll have to help me. Have me on your show. <laughs> I'm not right, that I bad. Will. I was never that bad. Yeah, what do you think of her? Like, apparently she's getting some kind of foothold based on her debate performances here. Yeah. I, 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 I'm amused by her charms, <laughs> of which she has some. <laughs> so. But do you think she's like the left's Trump in some ways? I don't think that she would be the best president. Um, like, but she says a lot of like sweeping things that don't have a lot of basis in policy or fact necessarily. But it's like she, like you were talking about her like closing speech last time. Like I will meet you on that field and stuff. Like this Mr. is like president. I will win. We will win. Love will win. <laughs> Something. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's got a penchant for the dramatic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and kind of the epic or something, but. I don't know. I, I I don't know. I think like a year from now we're going to be saying Marianne who and <laughs> and she doesn't have a background in politics. So I don't see her getting like a position in government from one of the from the eventual winners. Um so I I don't know what, you know, maybe more book sales is what's in her future. I I don't know. Maybe she'll run some for something out in California or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've got these people like her and Yang and people like that who are definitely raising their own profiles through this thing. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think like, uh, I don't know. She seems like a nice lady. She's not bad on some things. She has some very problematic views and history on other things. It seems like, it seems like she was into the little bit into the anti-vaxxer thing maybe. And maybe mm -hmm. she was a little bit into the antidepressants cause depression thing. Mm -hmm. Or I, you know, she's got some views that were, you know, they're fine for a hot take on a Facebook meme, but, mm. <laughs> you know, we don't really need the president to be espousing them. Well, you might be in luck because I just looked at the list of the eight candidates that have qualified for the next uh, debate. And it is actually the the um, benchmark is on September 12th and September 13th. Candidates need to have 130,000 unique donors and register at least 2% of them polls so i think we can say goodbye to the delaney hickenlooper ryan contingent uh so basically the eight that have qualified thus far biden booker Buttigieg, harris klobuchar o'rourke sanders and warren okay so that's I, getting closer to brass tacks so yeah yeah that i think that'll be a that'll be a good day mm -hmm. so but you know Ryan and Hickenlooper and uh, and Delaney have done their job. They put in their work here this time, so they've mm -hmm. they've done they've accomplished their mission or whatever I think. Mm -hmm. so. But yeah, but, but it's kind of it's kind of comical because these guys were, you know, if they wanted to come and fight Warren and Bernie, they were definitely caught flat-footed in almost mm -hmm. every exchange. I think so. Um, let's see. Uh, Delaney said. I'm the only one on this stage who has experience in the healthcare business. 
And Bernie shouted, yep. And he says, and I don't think that my colleagues understand the business. And then Bernie shouted, it's not a business. <laughs> Just like in the background, he's yelling off screen. <laughs> so, yeah, it's uh, that was that was good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he started that line, like Bernie was ready. He was waiting for that. He's like, he, I don't think he likes Delaney because Delaney was making money in the healthcare industry before. Mm-hmm. So... Hickenlooper and Williamson said something. Uh, Buttigieg says, uh, it is time, like, because Williamson said something. I do worry, like, I do kind of worry that if we go too far left on the healthcare stuff, then the Democrat, the Republicans will criticize us for that, and then we won't have an easy time to get anything else done. And, I mean, that's, I mean, there is a thing where presidents are able to get a little bit done in their first 100 days. They get one major thing done usually or whatever. And then after that, you know, politics as usual sets in and inertia and the resistance and stuff and infighting and all that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she sort of had a point. But Buttigieg said it's time to stop worrying about what the Republicans will say. He says, look, if it's true that we say we're going to embrace a far left agenda uh, they're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. If we embrace a conservative agenda, you know what they're going to do? They're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. So let's yeah. just stand up for the right policy and go there, go out there and defend it. And that I, was a yeah. great line. Yeah. Yeah. Buttigieg, like like I said, he had some bad lines and clunkers in this debate, but he had some good good moments too. Definitely that were definitely mm-hmm. kind of preloaded, pre-recorded, pre-memorized things, but they nonetheless effective. So. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right about him. He'll probably eventually be like a vice presidential candidate. I don't, I don't see him going all the way with it. I think he's a smart, capable guy. I just feel like he's not. I don't know. He's he's missing something as far as like I don't know. Do 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 black people like him at all? Because that seems to be a problem. So. No, I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Like, like I like him okay, but you don't need to win me in you know the South or whatever you know or like you know or you know the the black vote that you need to turn out in record numbers to put this over the edge. So, mm-hmm. but. yeah, I think the stranger did a thing after the first debate, like who, like they had a question about who do you want to have sex with in the democratic debate? And like <laughs> for mayor Pete Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg was like way over resented, overrepresented in the like <laughs> over 55 age demographic. Like, <laughs> so our parents' generation apparently thinks Pete Buttigieg is very sexy. It's like for fifty percent of them, you got to realize he's not for you or something. It's like so, yeah. It, it was a weird moment. It was a weird, weird poll, but it was an interesting thing. So, yeah. And uh, by the way, I guess we should mention on there also the uh, Beto O'Rourke. Beto O'Rourke's voice kind of bothers me. I mean, we talked about that other guy. I forget his name already. Oh, uh, uh, Bullock, Steve Bullock. Yeah, Steve Bullock's tone bothers me, but Beto O'Rourke also kind of bothers me. He's got this, he feels like a person who doesn't naturally have a deep voice, but he's trying to deepen his voice when he talks <laughs> or something. I don't know, maybe he does have a naturally deep voice, but he's this like, he's this beanstalk of a man, you know, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> it just rubbed me the wrong way. Kudos to him, though. He had a good reaction to the, you know, mass shooting in El Paso. He... Basically, it was like, connect the dots, people, you know, the president says racist things, the shooter cites the racist things as his reason, there's a connection here. Is there anything in your mind that the president can do now to make this any better? Uh, what do you think? Um, you know the shit he's been saying? He's, he's been calling Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals. 
Um, I, I don't know, like members of the press, what the f Hold on a second. You know, I, 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 it's, it's, these, um, it's these questions that you know the answers to. I mean, connect the dots about what he's been doing in this country. Um, he's not tolerating racism, he's promoting racism. He's not tolerating violence, he's inciting racism and violence in this country. So, um, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know what kind of question that is. Yeah, well, yeah, he, he started yelling at the, uh, yelling at the reporters and cussing and stuff. Uh, I don't know. It almost made me wonder if he had set up that question. It, it feels like, like, um, did you ever see that British comedian? I forget his name, Johnny, Jonathan, something or other. I forget the guy's name. He's supposed to, he acts like he's a reporter who's just like getting ready for his shoot. And then somebody asks him, well, what do you think about the prime minister? And he's, he's like, let me tell you about the prime minister. And he yells at the <laughs> camera for five minutes. Or why did Donald Trump win? Why? He's like, let me tell you why it's because, you know, and they, th Hillary Clinton, they thought she was going to, you know, yeah. he just gets, he works himself up into a froth and stuff. And it, it just feels like very manufactured in that way. Like, you know, you ask me a question that's going to, and I'm going to get righteously indignant right after it. I'm just, just let me go. Okay. Just let me go. Morning, 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 morning. What? No, I only just fucking got here. No, I only, I only just fucking got here. Yeah. Morning, Tim. Morning. Howdy. How was Washington? Great. Fucking sweet. Yep. What? What? I'm not, I'm not shocked at all, Tim. Tim, I've, I haven't even been into makeup yet, Tim. I'm not shocked at all. I've been saying this for fucking months. Nearly a year. Uh, the moment you think he can't do it is the moment he takes the White House. Of course, Trump fucking won. What is everyone so fucking shocked about? Jesus, the media, the political elite, the pollsters, the markets, you. Ooh, a drawer on the floor. How can everyone be so fucking stupid? Hillary Clinton. What were the Democrats thinking? Hillary Clinton, don't get me wrong, I wanted Hillary to win. I'd personally vote for Lucifer over Donald Trump. Trump, the pussy-grabbing, wall-building, climate-change-denying, healthcare-abolishing, tax-dodging, shit-spewing demagogue. How shit have you got to be to lose to that? Where was Sanders? Why wasn't he on the ticket? I, I have no doubt in my mind that Sanders would have beaten Trump's Trump, hands down. But instead, they chose Clinton, a candidate who's been cozying up to the banks and dry-humping corporations for years, who is on record telling her corporate friends that you should have a public and a private persona. In other words, don't tell the truth to the plebs or you won't be able to rip them off. She'll do. That was the feeling. What did they think was going to happen? People keep saying to me, how did this happen? They're, they're dumbfounded, but it's so simple. The left did this. This is, this is my fault, people like me. When are we going to learn? The left have given up putting any argument across at all to the point where Clinton is considered left, liberal. On many issues, Theresa May is less right-wing than Clinton. That's just a fucking fact. And yet my friends are on Facebook saying, I'm with her. I'm fucking not. Oh, but she's better than Trump. Sorry, that's not good enough, clearly. Clearly it's not good enough. And if, if I see, fuck me, one more tweet containing, a, containing a, a hashtag Trump wins next to a hashtag everyday sexism, I'm gonna drop a fucking bollock. Not everyone that voted for Trump is a sexist or a racist. Some of them are, but most aren't. Most people didn't vote for her, not because she's a woman. They didn't vote for her because she offered no palpable change whatsoever. Same old shit. Trump 
represents a change, a terrifying change, but a change nonetheless. Hillary represented, well, she represented very little, actually, because she protects corporate interests, because she doesn't call the police when questions from the debate are leaked to her in advance. I noticed we barely reported that. Not everyone that voted for Trump is a sexist or a racist. How many times does the vote not have to go our way before we realise that our argument isn't won by hurling labels and insults? Tory majority, government, uh, Brexit, uh, uh, Trump, what next? When will we learn that the key is discussion? If you are unwilling to discuss, then you are creating the conditions in which Donald Trump and people like him can thrive. But instead of persuading people to vote, she just, she just courted celebrity endorsements and then lost. What's going on? It's almost as if the political acumen of Beyonce and Jay-Z count for nothing. And then she loses it and, and loses the election and she locks herself in her hotel because she's too upset or because it had never occurred to them to even write a concession speech. Either way, grow up. I have no sympathy for her whatsoever. Be a better candidate. <sighs> but I, thing is, I can't say that. I can't say this to any of my friends, Tim. People like me, I, I'd get fucking lynched if I said this because people like me won't listen. I, I did this. This is my fault. Fucking Donald Trump. The left is responsible for this result because the left have now decided that any other opinion, any other way of looking at the world is unacceptable. We don't debate anymore because the left won the cultural war. So if, if you're on the right, you're a freak, you're evil, you're racist, you're stupid, you are a basket of deplorables. How do you think people are going to vote if you talk to them like that? When has anyone ever been persuaded by being insulted or, or labelled? So now, if you're on the right or even against the prevailing view, you are attacked for raising your opinion. That's why people wait until they're in the voting booth. No one's watching anymore. There's no blame or shame or anything, and you can finally say what you really think, and that is a powerful thing. The Tories in charge, Brexit, and now Trump. And all the polls were wrong, all of them. Because when asked, people can't admit what they think. They can't admit what they think. They're not allowed to. The left don't allow them to. We have made people unable to articulate their position for fear of being shut down. They're embarrassed to say it. Every time someone on the left has said, you mustn't say that, they are contributing to this culture. It's time to stop moaning. It's time to stop crying over spilt fucking Brexit. It's time to stop ignoring your opponents or worse, trying to silence them. It's time to stop banning people from speaking in universities. It's time to stop thinking that reposting an article on your Facebook feed is political engagement. That banning a gymnast from doing what he's good at because he insulted someone's religion somehow achieved something. And sorry, when did the Gymnast Association start thinking it was appropriate to start enforcing blasphemy laws? It's time to realise that reading The Guardian doesn't make you a liberal, that retweeting Greenpeace doesn't lower your carbon footprint. And if my mansplaining is triggering you, you can either fuck off to your safe space or you can engage and debate me and tell me what I'm getting wrong. Because Trump just won the White House. Being offended doesn't work anymore. Throwing insults doesn't work anymore. The only thing that works is fucking bothering, doing something. And all you have to do is engage in the debate. Talk to people who think differently to you and persuade them of your argument. It's so easy and the left have lost the art. Stop thinking that everyone who disagrees with you is evil or racist or sexist or stupid and talk to them. Persuade them otherwise, because if you don't, I'll tell you what you get. You get President Trump. Right, I need to go for a shit and a shave. Uh, how long we got, Tim? All right, I might need to have to forego the shit. It's like, it's really annoying in a way, but... Jo Jonathan Pye. Okay, yeah, that guy. 
So, yeah, at first, like the first time I saw it when like right after the election and I thought he was actually a reporter who was reacting naturally, I was like, okay, it's a little bit overblown, but okay, he's, you know, reacting in the moment and stuff. We've all done that and stuff. But but then you find out that it's all scripted and that like, you know, this is his shtick. It's like, okay, yeah, it's a little lame. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's it's kind of like that. What was that movie from the 1990s where you had the 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 president Warren Beatty who was rapping or something and he was supposed to be connecting with Americans in a real authentic way it's like ugh yeah, oh, what God. was that the, what was that movie oh man it's on the tip of my tongue uh, Bullworth yeah 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 it's it's like kind of like one of those movies or like maybe like um you know love actually where you you have the 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 british prime minister or whatever telling the american who's pushing him too hard like no we're not your little dog or something like that and it's like you you have these movies and stuff especially out of britain it seems that where they they have this fantasy of a politician who's gonna like tell it like it is and stand up to the big people or something it's like yeah it's it's cute as a fantasy but be realistic a little bit Mm -hmm. and same thing with the you know the the reporter we want to have a reporter who's going to say what they really feel it's like okay mm-hmm. watch alternative media you can get that naturally not this kind of manufactured stuff yeah so yeah um then there was like anyways continuing with the thing there was a prolonged exchange ryan said what about the unions basically uh you're going to lose your health care you know more right-wing talking points except for the unions part um, Bernie said it'll include dental care, hearing aids and eyeglasses. And Ryan kind of meekly jumped in there. But you don't know that, Bernie. And Bernie <laughs> continues. Second of all, I do know it. I wrote the damn bill. Second of all, many of our union brothers and sisters, nobody more pro union than me up here, are now paying <laughs> high deductibles and co-payments. And he just he rolled over. I mean, he just jumped in there and stuff. It was, it was crazy. Um, Ryan then continued. Um, These union members are losing their jobs. Uh, their wages have been stagnant. The world is crumbling around them. The only thing they have is possibly really good health care. And like you're gonna take it away, it's like oh, okay, Just doom and gloom. There is widespread agreement on this stage on the need for immigration reform, a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants, including Dreamers. But there are some areas of disagreement. Mayor Buttigieg, you're in favor of getting rid of the law that makes it a crime to come across the U.S. border illegally. Why won't that just encourage more illegal immigration? When I'm president, illegally crossing the border will still be illegal. We can argue over the finer points of which parts of this ought to be handled by civil law and which parts ought to be handled by criminal law, but we've got a crisis on our hands. And it's not just a crisis of immigration, it's a crisis of cruelty and incompetence that has created a humanitarian disaster on our southern border. It is a stain on the United States of America. Americans want comprehensive immigration reform. And frankly, we've been talking about the same framework for my entire adult lifetime. Protections for dreamers, making sure that that, uh, we have a pathway to citizenship for the undocumented, cleaning up lawful immigration. We know what to do. We know that border security can be part of that package and we can still be a nation of laws. The problem is we haven't had the will to get it done in Washington. And now we have a president who could fix it in a month because there is that bipartisan agreement but he needs it to be a crisis rather than an achievement. That will end on my watch. Just a point of clarification. You did raise your hand in the last debate. You do want to decriminalize 
crossing the border illegally. So in my view, if, if fraud is involved, then that's suitable for the criminal statute. If not, then it should be handled under civil law. But these show of hands are exactly what is wrong with the way that this race well, we're is not, being we're not, we're not doing that here. <laughs> we appreciate that. Thank you. Congressman O'Rourke, <laughs> you live near the U.S.-Mexico border in El Paso. You disagree with Mayor Buttigieg on decriminalizing legal border crossings. Please respond. I do, because in my administration, after we have waived citizenship fees for green card holders, more than 9 million of our fellow Americans, freed dreamers from any fear of deportation, and stopped criminally prosecuting families and children for seeking asylum and refuge, and for-profit detention in this country, and then assist those countries in Central America so that no family ever has to make that 2,000-mile journey, then I expect that people who come here follow our laws, and we reserve the right to criminally prosecute them Thank if they you, do Congressman. not. Thank you, Congressman. Senator Warren, you say the provision making illegal border crossings a crime is totally unnecessary. Please respond. So the problem is that right now, the criminalization statute is what gives Donald Trump the ability to take children away from their parents. It's what gives him the ability to lock up people at our borders. We need to continue to have border security, and we can do that. But what we can't do is not live our values. I've been down to the border. I have seen the mothers. I have seen the cages of babies. We must be a country that every day lives our values. And that means you, we Senator cannot Warren. make it Just a crime when someone Thank comes you, Senator. here. Thank you, Senator. Just to clarify, would you decriminalize yes. illegal border crossings? The point is not about criminalization. That has given Donald Trump the tool to break families apart. Thank you, Senator. We need Governor Hickenlooper, your response. No, I agree that we need secure borders. There's no question about that. And the, the frustration with what's going on in Washington is they're kicking them all back and forth. Secure the borders. Make sure whatever law we have doesn't allow children to be snatched from their parents and put in cages. How hard can that be? We've got... I don't know, on the two debate nights, we've got 170 years of Washington experience. Somehow it seems like that should be fairly fixable. Well, and one way to fix it is to decriminalize. That's the whole point. What we're looking for here is a way to take away the tool Thank that you, Donald Senator Trump Warren. has used to break Thank up Thank you, Senator families. Warren. Senator Klobuchar, your response. I would say there is the will to change this in Congress. What's missing is the right person in the White House. I believe that immigrants don't diminish America, they are America. And if you want to do something about border security, you first of all change the rules so people can seek asylum in those northern triangle countries. Then you pass the bill, and what the bill will do is it'll greatly reduce the deficit and give us some money for border security and for border help processing the cases. And most of all, it will allow for a path to citizenship because this is not just about the border. Thank Donald you. Trump wants to use these people as political pawns. Thank you, Senator when we Klobuchar. have people all over our country that simply want to work Thank and you. obey the law. Senator Sanders, you want to provide undocumented immigrants free health care and free college. Why won't this drive even more people to come to the U.S. illegally? will have a strong border protections. But the main point I want to make is that what Trump is doing through his racism and his xenophobia is demonizing a group of people. And as president, I will end that demonization. If a mother and a child walk thousands of miles on a dangerous path, in my view, they are not criminals. <laughs> 
They are people fleeing violence. And I think the main thing that we've got to do, among many others, and Beto made this point, we've got to ask ourselves, why are people walking 2,000 miles to a strange country where they don't know the language? So what we will do the first week we are in the White House is bring the entire hemisphere together to talk about how we rebuild Honduras, Thank Guatemala, and El Salvador so people do not have to flee their own countries. Thank you, Senator. Delaney, you know, he, he to, to John Delaney's credit, he actually sort of seemed to know which section of uh, Bernie's bill there was a certain part in. He said like section 1200 or things or something. And he said, oh, it's bad math. And, you know, hospitals all across our great nation are going to go bankrupt and stuff like this with Medicare for all. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, whatever. And after that, it was immigration. I didn't really take a lot of notes on immigration, honestly. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was more more fighting about um, Julian Castro's uh, repeal 1325 thing. A lot of stuff mm-hmm. about that. Um, yeah, I think. And then after that, they went to gun violence. Um, Mayor Buttigieg, other than offering words of comfort, what are you specifically going to do to stop this epidemic of gun violence? Well, this epidemic of gun violence has hit my community, too, far too many times. It's the worst part of being mayor, getting the phone call, consoling, grieving parents. And we have a mass shooting's worth of killings every day in this country. What we're doing hasn't worked because we haven't had a system in Washington capable of delivering what the American people have told us they want. 80, 90 percent of Republicans want universal background checks, not to mention the common sense solutions that disarm domestic abusers and flag mental health risks and an end to assault weapons. Things like what I carried overseas in uniform that have no business in American neighborhoods in peacetime, let alone anywhere near a school. I I was at an event a few days ago and a 13 year old asked me what we were going to do about school safety and then began shaking and then began crying. And we could talk about these policies, but we already know the policies. The only thing I could think of looking into the eyes of this child is we're supposed to be dealing with this so you don't have to. High school is hard enough without having to worry about whether you're going to get shot. Thank and when you. 90% of Americans want something to happen, thank you, and Mayor. Washington can't deliver, thank you, Mayor. we can't dis- expect Thank you, Mayor. Same. Governor Hickenlooper, your response, please. I disagree with his please diagnosis Please stand by, Senator. Please stick here. to the rules. Okay. We'll get to you. We'll come to you in just a minute. Governor Hickenlooper, please respond. Well, this is the fundamental nonsense of government. Another thing, another place where, despite our best efforts, we can't seem to make any progress. You know, when I went to the, to the movie theater in Aurora in 2012 and saw that footage of what happened in that crime scene, I'll never forget it. And we decided, you know, that we were going to go out and, and take on the, the NRA. And we passed, as a purple state, we passed universal background checks. We limited magazine capacity. We did the, the basic work that for whatever reason doesn't seem to be able to to get done in Washington. Thank you, Governor. Senator Klobuchar, please (laughs) respond. This isn't just about a system or it's not just about words. This is about the NRA. I sat across from the president of the United States after Parkland because I've been a leader on these issues and have the bill to close the boyfriend loophole. And I watched and wrote down when nine times he said he wanted universal background checks. The next day he goes and he meets with the NRA and he folds. As your president, I will not fold. 
I will make sure that we get universal background checks passed, the assault weapon ban, that we do something about magazines, and that we understand when that six little, little six-year-old boy died, Stephen Romero, when his dad said he's only six thank, years old, all I can you, say Senator. is he's six years Mayor old. Bridges, we have fly. to remember that. This is the exact same conversation we've been having since, since I was in high school. I was a junior when the Columbine shooting happened. I was part of the first generation that saw routine school shootings. We have now produced the second school shooting generation in this country. We dare not allow there to be a third. Something is broken, if it is even possible, for the same debate around the same solutions that we all know are the right thing to do. They won't prevent every incident, they won't save every life, but we know what to do and it has not happened. Thank you, Mayor. Senator Klobuchar, <clears throat> please respond. Yes. What is broken is a political system that allows the NRA and other large big money to come in and make things not happen when the majority of people are for it. The people are with us now. After Parkland, those students just didn't march. They talked to their dads and their grandpas and the hunters in their family, and they said there must be a better way. Then we elected people in the House of Representatives, and guess what? It changed, and they passed universal background checks. And now that bill is sitting on Mitch McConnell's doorstep because of the money and the power of the NRA. As president, I will take them Thank on. Thank you, Senator. This is not about systems and words. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. Governor Bo how can Democrats trust you to be the leader on this fight for gun safety when you only changed your position to call for an assault weapons ban last summer? You know, like 40% of American households, I'm a gun owner, I hunt. Like far too many people in America, I've been personally impacted by gun violence. Had an 11-year-old nephew, Jeremy, shot and killed on a playground. We need to start looking at this as a public health issue, not a political issue. I agree with Senator Klobuchar. It is the NRA. And it's not just gun violence. It's when we talk about climate, when we talk about prescription drug costs. Washington, D.C. is captured by dark money, the Koch brothers and others. That's been the fight of my career, kicking the Koch brothers out of Montana, taking the first case after Citizens United up to the Supreme Court, making it so that elections are about people. That's the way we're actually going to make a change on this, Don, is by changing that system and most of the things that folks are talking about on the stage. We're not going to address until we kick dark money and the post-Citizens United corporate spending out of these elections. Congressman O'Rourke, what your response? How else can we explain that we lose nearly 40,000 people in this country to gun violence, a number that no other country comes even close to, that we know what all the solutions are and yet nothing has changed it is because in this country, money buys influence, access, and increasingly outcomes. The Centers for Disease Control prevented from actually studying the issue in the first place. As president, we will make sure that we ban political action committee contributions to any member of Congress or any candidate for federal office. We will listen to people, not PACs, people, not corporations, people, not special interests. Congressman, it's thank you very much. Senator Sanders. You said this in 2013, just months after the Sandy Hook massacre, and I quote here, if you pass the strongest gun control legislation tomorrow, I don't think it will have a profound effect on the tragedies we have seen. Do you still agree with that statement today? I think we have got to do, I think what I meant is what President Obama said, and that nobody up here is going to tell you that we have a magical solution to the crisis. Now, I come from one of the most rural states in America. I have a D-minus voting record from the NRA. And as president, I suspect it will be an F record. 
What I believe we have got to do is have the guts to finally take on the NRA. You asked me about my record back in 1988, coming from a state that had no gun control. I called for the ban of the sale and distribution of assault weapons. I lost that election. I will do everything I can, not only to take on the NRA, but to expand and create universal background checks, do away with the straw man provision, do away with the gun show loophole, and do away with the loopholes that now exist for gun manufacturers who are selling large amounts of weapons into communities that are going to gangs. Let's see. Yeah, Buttigieg mentioned that he was a junior in high school when Columbine happened, and I was trying to remember how old we were when that happened. And was that 99? 99, I believe. Oh, yeah, it was 99, because it was just the 20th anniversary. Wow. Uh, been like sophomores or juniors or something. Maybe sophomores. Yeah. I guess Sounds we're right. about a year about a year younger than Buttigieg. Bob, what are we doing with our lives here, huh? I know, right? <laughs> Why aren't we on that stage, right? <laughs> fucking it up. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I mentioned before, I think I felt the same way when Kim Jong-un became president, the supreme leader of North Korea. It's like, <laughs> I'm, barely, I'm barely holding on to a te- teaching job in South Korea. <laughs> like, I'm not the leader of my own country yet. What's wrong? <laughs> well, you just you, you you made the big mistake of not being born into a dynastic uh, communist, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, regime. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe if we elect Bernie, my son won't be have the same misfortune in America. Joking. <laughs> He'll be born into a dynastic communist regime. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Right wing, right wing talking points, Bob. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's, so Buddha just continues. We're in the second uh, school shooting generation. Um, guns I was around in Afghanistan don't belong in the streets. Uh, Hickenlooper said something. Klobuchar said something. Bullock said something. Bernie said something I didn't really write down. Um. Let's see. O'Rourke said ban political action committee contributions to the government, which is, you know, smart and good. Um, Williamson said, let's see, politicians who have taken money from PACs share responsibility, you know, seems to be true in some ways. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, There was a question, is Bernie Sanders too extreme to beat Trump? (laughs) Thanks, Jake Tapper. In poll after poll, Democratic voters say that they want a candidate who can beat President Trump more than they want a candidate who agrees with them on major issues. Governor Hickenlooper, you ran a Facebook ad that warned, quote, socialism is not the answer. The ad also said, quote, don't let extremes give Trump four more years. Are you saying that Senator Sanders is too extreme to beat President Trump? I'm saying the policies of this notion that you're going to take private insurance away from 180 million Americans, who many of them don't want to give it. Many of them do want to get rid of it, but some don't. Many don't. Or you're going to, uh, the Green New Deal, make sure that every American is guaranteed a government job that they want. That is a disaster at the, at the ballot box. You might as well FedEx the election to Donald Trump. I think we've got to focus on where Donald Trump is failing. You know, the word malpractice, and this is interesting. I always thought it was doctors or lawyers. It's, you know, negligent, improper, illegal professional activity for doctors, lawyers, or public officials. Google it. Check it out. Donald Trump is malpractice personified. 
We've got to point that out. Why is it soybean farmers in, in Iowa need 10 good years to get back to where they were two years ago? Where's the small manufacturing jobs that are supposed to come back? Why are we lurching from one international crisis to another? All things that he promised American voters, we've got to focus on that and the economy and jobs and training so that we can promise a, a future for America that everybody wants to invest in. Thank you, Governor. Senator Sanders, you are a proud democratic socialist. How do you respond to Governor Hickenlooper? Well, the truth is that every credible poll that I have seen has me beating Donald Trump, including, including the battleground states of Michigan, where I won the Democratic primary, Wisconsin, where I won the Democratic primary, and Pennsylvania. And the reason we are going to defeat Trump and beat him badly is that he is a fraud and a phony, and we're going to expose him for what he is. The American people want to have a minimum wage, which is a living wage, 15 bucks an hour. I've helped lead that effort. The American people want to pay reasonable prices for prescription drugs, not the highest Thank prices you, in the world. I've helped lead the effort Thank for that you, as Senator. well. Governor Hickenlooper, I want to bring you back to respond. So, again, I, I think if we're going to force Americans to make these radical changes, they're not going to go along. You, you throw your hands up, but you, oh, you haven't implemented. <laughs> oh, I can do it. But you haven't implemented the plans. Us governors and mayors are the ones that we have to pick up all the pieces well, when suddenly the government's supposed to take over all these responsibilities and there's no preparation, the details aren't worked. You can't just spring a plan on the world and expect it to succeed. John, Senator Sanders. John, I was a mayor and I helped transform That's my so city. Fair. I have some practical experience. Second of all, interestingly enough, today is the anniversary of Medicare. 54 years ago, under Linda Johnson and the Democratic Congress, they started a new program after one year, 19 million elderly people in it. Please don't tell me that in a four-year period, we cannot go from 65 down to 55 to 45 to 35. This is not radical. This is what virtually every other country on Thank Earth you, does. We are Thank you, Senator. I want, to bring in, I want to bring in Congressman Ryan. You're from the state of Ohio. It's a state that voted twice for Obama and then went to President Trump in 2016. Please respond to Senator Sanders. I would just say Hillary Clinton was winning in the polls, too. To take a snapshot in the polls today and apply it 16 months from now, whenever it is, I don't think is accurate. Now, in this discussion already tonight, we've talked about taking private health insurance away from union members in the industrial Midwest. We've talked about decriminalizing the border, and we've talked about giving free health care to undocumented workers when so many Americans are struggling to pay for their health care. I, quite frankly, don't think that that is a, an agenda that we can move forward on and win. We've got to talk about the working class issues, the people that take a shower after work who haven't had a raise in 30 years. You, if we focus on them, we'll win the election. Thank you, Congressman. I want to bring Congressman O'Rourke. Your response, sir? Bernie was talking about some of the battleground states in which we compete. There's a new battleground state, Texas, and it has 38 electoral college votes. And the way that we put it in play was by going to each one of those 254 counties. No matter how red or rural, we did not write you off. No matter how blue or urban, we did not take you for granted. And we didn't trim our sails either. We had the courage of our convictions, talking about universal health care, comprehensive immigration reform, and confronting the challenge of climate before it is too late. We brought everyone in, and now we have Thank a you. chance to beat Donald Trump with Thank Texas. You. Thank you, Congressman. I'm wondering, Governor Bullock, we're talking about whether Democrats are moving too far to the left to win the White House. President Trump won your home state of Montana by 20 points. How do you respond, sir? Yeah, as the only one of the field of 37 that actually won a Trump state, 25 to 30 percent of my voters voted for Donald Trump. 
I know that we do have to win back some of those places we lost and get those Trump voters back if we're ever going to win. But this isn't just a choice between the left and the center. It's not a choice just between sort of these wish list economics or thinking that we have to sacrifice our values to actually win. What folks want is a fair shot. The way I won, the way we can win is actually focusing on the economy and the democracy aren't working for most people. Thank you, That's Governor. how I win. That's how Thank we you, can Governor. take back the office. Senator Warren, you make it a point to say that you're a capitalist. Is that your way of convincing voters that you might be a safer choice than Senator Sanders? No, it is my way of talking about I know how to fight and I know how to win. I took on giant banks and I beat them. I took on um, Wall Street and CEOs and their lobbyists and their lawyers, and I beat them. I took on a popular Republican incumbent senator, and I beat him. I remember when people said Barack Obama couldn't get elected. Shoot, I remember when people said Donald Trump couldn't get elected. But here's where we are. I get it. There is a lot at stake and people are scared. But we can't choose a candidate we don't believe in just because we're too scared to do anything else. And we can't ask other people to vote for a candidate we don't believe in. Democrats win when we figure out what is right and we get out there and fight for it. I am not afraid. And for Democrats to win, you can't be afraid either. Congressman Delaney, your response? <laughs> so, I, so I think Democrats win when we run on real solutions, not impossible promises. When we run on things that are workable, not fairy tale economics. Look at the story of Detroit, this amazing city that we're in. This city is turning around because the government and the private sector are working well together. That has to be our model going forward. We need to encourage collaboration between the government, the private sector, and the nonprofit sector, and focus on those kitchen table, pocketbook issues that matter to hardworking Americans, building infrastructure, creating jobs, improving their pay, Thank you, creating universal health care, lowering drug prices, Senator we Warren. can do it. You know, I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. <laughs> in Washington is corruption. It is giant corporations that have taken our government and that are holding it by the throat. And we need to have the courage to fight back against that. And until we're ready to do that, it's just more of the same. Well, I'm ready to get in this fight. I'm ready to win this Thank you, fight. Senator. Congressman Delaney. When, when we created Social Security, we didn't say pensions were illegal, right? We can have big ideas to transform the lives. I mean. I started two companies and took them public before I was 40. I'm as big of a dreamer and an entrepreneur as anyone. But I also believe we need to have solutions that are workable. Can you imagine if we tried to start Social Security now but said private pensions are illegal? That's the equivalent of what Senator Sanders and Senator Warren are proposing with health care. That's not a big idea. That's an idea that's dead on arrival. That will never happen. So why don't we actually talk about things big ideas that we can get done. The Thank stakes you, are too high. Senator, S Senator uh, Warren. What? So look, he talks... We'll come to you right after that. Senator Warren. He talks about solutions that are workable. We have tried the solution of Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. And what have the private insurance companies done? They've sucked billions of dollars out of our health care system. They've made everybody fill out dozens and dozens of forms 
Why? Not because they're trying to track your health care. They just want one more excuse to say no. Insurance companies do not have a God-given right to suck money out of our health care system. You, and 2020 is our chance Senator, to thank stop. Hickenlooper, yes. Uh, <laughs> what do you think uh, they're going to say no? <laughs> yeah, thank you. This, this question is why I'm on the stage with you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then Hickenlooper said, yes. And then he said, oh, throw your hands up. I can do it, too, or something when Bernie was going to react to him or something. <laughs> no, yeah, these people have no respect. It's like absolutely no respect. So mm-hmm. um, Bernie just said, you know, polls show me beating Trump. So actually, the question's stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan said Hillary was ahead of the president. So polls Hillary Hillary was ahead of Trump. So the polls, you know, polls don't really matter. Um he mentioned something about the people who take a shower after work, which was obviously another loaded line that he had preloaded before the debate that he wanted to use. Um, Bullock talked about wish list economics. I want a Trump state. Nobody cares. Uh, yeah. Warren came in after Delaney and she said, you know, I don't understand why anybody – goes to all the trouble of running for the president of the United States of America just to talk about what we can't do and uh, shouldn't fight for. And that was obviously mm-hmm. that was that that was one of the two or three killer lines of the night, I think. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. And Delaney was always talking about his his he must have said it five times. Real solutions, not impossible promises. That's his campaign slogan, I guess. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, that was that was pretty much it on that question. Next one was climate crisis. Congressman Delaney, I'll start with you. You say the Green New Deal is about as realistic as Trump saying Mexico was going to pay for the wall. But scientists say we need essentially to eliminate fossil fuel pollution by 2050 to avoid the most catastrophic consequences. Why isn't this sweeping plan to fight the climate crisis realistic? Well, first of all, because it ties its progress to other things that are completely unrelated to climate, like universal health care, guaranteed government jobs, and universal basic income. So that only makes it harder to do. My plan, which gets us to net zero by 2050, which we absolutely have to do for our kids and our grandkids, will get us there. I put a price on carbon, take all the money, give it back to the American people in a dividend. That was introduced by me on a bipartisan basis. It's the only significant bipartisan climate bill in the Congress. I'm going to increase the Department of Energy research budget by fivefold because we fundamentally have to innovate our way out of this problem. I'm going to create a market for something called direct air capture, which are machines that actually take carbon out of the atmosphere because I don't think we'll get to net zero by 2050 unless we have those things. I'm going to increase investment in renewables and I'm going to create something called the Climate Corps. That is a plan that's realistic, it's a bet on the U.S. private innovation economy and creates the incentives to get us to net zero by 2050 for our kids. Thank you, Congressman. Senator Warren, you're a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. Your response to Congressman Delaney. So climate crisis is the existential crisis for our world. It puts every living thing on this planet at risk. I have a plan for a green industrial policy that takes advantage of the fact that we do what we do best, and that is innovate and create. So I've proposed putting $2 trillion in so we do the research, 
We then say anyone in the world can use it so long as you build it right here in America. That will produce about 1.2 million manufacturing jobs right here in Michigan, right here in Ohio, right here in the industrial Midwest. And the second thing we will do is we will then sell those products all around the world. Right now, for every $1 the United States spends trying to market around the world, China's spending $100. Thank you, Senator Warren. Governor Hickenlooper, you take issue with the Green New Deal. Please respond. Well, I think the guarantee for a public job for everyone who wants one is a classic part of the problem. It's a distraction. I share the urgency of everyone up here. Uh, we have to recognize, I mean, everyone's got good ideas. What we do in this country is no better than just a best practice, right? It's what we do here is a, is a best practice and a template, but it's got to be done all over the world. So we've got to be building bridges right now with people like China, who were cheating on international agreements and stealing intellectual property. We need to work on that, but not with the tariff system. We need every country working together if we're going to really deal with climate change in a realistic way. Thank, thank you. Senator Warren, your response. Look, I put a real policy on the table to create 1.2 million new jobs in green manufacturing. There's going to be a $23 trillion worldwide market for this. This could revitalize huge cities across this country. And no one wants to talk about it. What you want to do instead is find the Republican talking point of a made-up piece of some other part and say, oh, we don't really have to do anything. That's the problem we've got in Washington right now. It continues to be a Washington that works great for oil companies, just not for people worried Thank about Thank you, Senator change. Warren. Congressman Ryan, yeah. we, we are here in Michigan yeah. where there are about 180,000 workers in auto manufacturing. Your state of Ohio has around 96,000 workers in that industry. Senator Sanders is co-sponsoring a bill that would eliminate new gas-powered car sales by 2040. Given the number of auto manufacturing workers in your state, how concerned are you about Senator Sanders' plan? Well, if we get our act together, we won't have to worry about it. I, I, my plan is to create a chief manufacturing officer so we could actually start making things in the United States again that would pull the government, the Department of Energy, Department of Transportation, work with the private sector, work with investors, emerging tech companies to dominate the electric vehicle market. China dominates it now, 50 to 60 percent. I want us to dominate the battery market, make those here in the United States and cut the workers in on the deal. The charging stations, solar panels, same thing. China dominates 60% of the solar panel market. So this person will work in the White House, report directly to me, and we're gonna start making things again. But you cannot get there on climate unless we talk about agriculture. We need to convert our industrial agriculture system over to a sustainable and regenerative agriculture system that actually sequesters carbon into the soil. And you can go ask, you can go ask Gabe Brown and, and Alan Williams who actually make money off of regenerative agriculture. So we can move away from all the subsidies that we're giving the farmers. They haven't made a profit in five years and we can start getting good food into our schools and into our communities. That's gonna drive healthcare down. That's another part of the healthcare conversation that we didn't even have. How do we start Thank talking you, about health Ryan. instead of just disease care? Thank you, Senator Sanders, your response? I get a little bit tired of Democrats afraid of big ideas. Republicans are not afraid of big ideas. They could give a trillion dollars in tax breaks to billionaires and profitable corporations. They could bail out the crooks on Wall Street. So please don't tell me 
that we cannot take on the fossil fuel industry and nothing happens unless we do that. Here is the bottom line. We've got to ask ourselves a simple question. What do you do with an industry that knowingly for billions of dollars in short-term profits is destroying this planet? I say that is criminal Thank activity you. that cannot be allowed Thank to continue. Thank you, Senator well, Sanders. Congressman, your response. Well, yeah, I would, I would just say, I didn't say we couldn't get there till 2040, Bernie. You don't have to yell. I mean, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, we have to invent our way out of this thing. And if we're waiting for 2040 for a ban to come in on gasoline vehicles, we're screwed. So we better get busy now. And that's why I'm saying, get a chief manufacturing officer, align the environmental incentives with the financial incentives and make sure that people can actually make money off of the new technologies that are moving forward. And then here's what I'll do as Thank president, you, cut the worker in on the deal. Make sure these are union jobs and I will double union membership to make sure that these new jobs pay with the old fossil fuel jobs. Senator pay. Sanders, your response. Look, on this issue, my friends, there is no choice. We have got to be super aggressive if we love our children and if we want to leave them a planet that is healthy and is habitable. So I don't disagree with Tim. What that means is we got to A, take on the fossil fuel industry. B, it means we have to transform our energy system away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency and sustainable energy and a hell of a lot of good union jobs as we do that. We've got to transform our transportation Thank you, system, and we have to lead the world because this Sanders. is not just an American issue. Governor Bullock, your response. You know, all of us agree that we have to address climate change. No one on this stage is talking about, though, the Republicans won't even acknowledge that climate change is real, Dana. And that's because of the corrupting influence of money. That has been the fight of my career. And second of which, as we transition to this clean energy economy, you gotta recognize there are folks that have spent their whole life powering our country. And far too often, Democrats sound like they're part of the problem. We gotta make sure to aid in those transitions as we get to a carbon neutral world, which I think we can Thank do by 20. Thank you, Governor. Just to clarify, who is part of the problem? Who, oh, no, I, I think Democrats, often when they're saying, oh, these fossil fuel industries, these workers, those coal miner workers, look, the world's changing, we gotta make it change. But I think Democrats often sound like the people that as Congressman Ryan would say, shower at the end of the day, that they're part of the problem. And far too many communities are being left behind as we make this transition. Look, we're having this discussion and we can talk about competing Thank plans. Thank you, Governor. I want to give I Senator Sanders a chance to respond. Look, Steve, there ain't nobody in the Congress who's more strongly pro-worker than I am. So when I talk about taking on the fossil fuel industry, what I am also talking about is a just transition. All right? We can create, and what the Green New Deal is about, it's a bold idea. We can create millions of good-paying jobs. We can rebuild communities in rural America that have been devastated. So we are not anti-worker. No. We are going to provide, make sure that those workers have a transition, yeah. new jobs, health care, and education. And look, Governor Bullock, your response? And look, Bernie, I was a union-side labor lawyer. I fought day after day. And I know, but we set this up as a false choice far too often. 
Are we going to actually address climate change? Fire seasons are 80 days longer in the West now. Or are we going to give people a better shot at a better life? You can do both, yes. but let's actually have the scientists drive this. Let's not just talk about plans that are written for press releases, but we'll go nowhere else if we can't even get a Republican to Thank acknowledge you, that the climate's changing. Congressman O'Rourke, I've listened response. to scientists on this, and they're very clear. We don't have more than 10 years to get this right, and we won't meet that challenge with half steps or half measures or only half the country. We've got to bring everyone in. The people of Detroit and those that I listened to in Flint last week, they want the challenge. They want those jobs. They want to create the future for this country and the world. Those community college students that I met in Tucumcari, New Mexico, understand that wind and solar jobs are the fastest growing jobs in the country. And those farmers in Iowa say, pay me for the environmental services of planting cover crops and keeping more land in conservation easements. That's how we meet the challenge. We do it with everyone in this country. We bring everyone into the solution. Uh, Delaney says the Green New Deal is unrealistic. Uh, incentivize private companies to get net zero emissions by 2040 or something. Uh, Hickenlooper talked about best practices, which is one of these business English bullshit words or something, I think. Uh, whenever I have to teach business English to somebody, which I frankly don't like to do, I don't have a background in business and business people like to just like reinvent the English language 50 different ways to say things in ways that could be said in normal English, but they want to make it special for themselves so that they feel more specialized or something. Can't stand it. So yeah, best practices. Um, let's see, work with, work with, uh, I can't even read what I wrote here. <laughs> <laughs> work with China, work with China, work with China. He wants to work with China. Well, looks like that's out the window after today. So yeah. Uh, Sanders said he's tired of Democrats who are afraid of big ideas. He said Republicans are not afraid of big ideas. They give tax breaks. They bail out Wall Street uh, crooks. Uh, so we are. So we're taking on the fo fossil fuel industry so we can take on the fossil fuel industry. Uh, Bullock said, don't blame fossil fuel workers, the coal miners, da, 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 da. you know, again, just I, I think Bullock needs to be added to the list of Hickenlooper, Ryan and uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, uh, Delaney. Delaney. Yeah. He was the fourth horseman of the bring down Bernie apocalypse <laughs> <laughs> and Warren as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, Klobuchar, maybe Williamson. If you feel any of this wonkiness is going to deal with the dark psychic force of the collected hatred of that this president is bringing up in the country, then I'm afraid the Democrats are going to see some very dark days. OK, so that was <laughs> more dire warnings from Williamson. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Thoughts about the climate crisis part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, let's see, what was Williams and saying? Oh, yeah, the wonky thing. That's another thing that makes me think of Trump. Like, she doesn't like experts. Like, it's like people that know anything is like the enemy. That's just another thing that kind of reminds me of Trump. So, I don't know. Like, I was amused by her at first, and now I'm like, I just hope she doesn't get any further, honestly. Like, yeah. Well, I, I think she does have a point that, like, people 
get bogged down in the numbers and they say a lot of fancy numbers and people think it sounds mm-hmm. impressive. And so they endure, you know, I, I, I don't know. One thing, like at one point, Bernie said something and I just wrote down numbers, right? Because that's basically what he was saying, you know, we got a, you know, 30% of people, the top 1%, the, the 60%, $40 billion. That, it, it was just like a deluge of numbers that nobody else could possibly comprehend. Even, even as you're listening, you know, I, yes, Bernie, I, I know you know these numbers and I know they're real numbers and I know they mean something. But like when you're spouting them out like a machine gun like this, I can't even process what they're supposed to mean in the moment. Right. It's like it's it, so Williams. I give Williamson a point on the wonkiness in that, you know, anybody, anybody, Ryan can get up there and say some numbers and it'll sound impressive to people who, you know. So. I don't, uh, but but yeah, I do think like the kind of the anti-intellectualism thing is an issue, perhaps on both sides. So yeah, um, they came to racism, and O'Rourke had an interesting quote. Interesting, especially because this was, you know, less than ten days ago he made this quote right before his own town gets a massive shooting that you know kills a lot of people. Uh, you know, kills twenty-two people. Injures 24, 50 people hit by bullets, I guess. He said, and that's what we've learned in El Paso, Texas, my hometown, one of the safest cities in the United States of America. Uh, Not despite, but because it's a city of immigrants and asylum seekers and refugees. Okay, well, obviously in Trump's America, that those three things do not make your city a safer place. Not because those people are inherently dangerous, but because Donald Trump has inspired, you know, Mm-hmm. right-wing maniacs to take take uh, racial politics and border po- politics into their own hands in this country. Mm-hmm. And um, I've seen some reporting in the past two hours that the the third shooter of the past several days, the one in in uh, Ohio, in Dayton, Ohio. Wait, who was the second? Well, the second one was El Paso. The third one I'm talking about is the one we've forgotten about already, which was the was it Gilroy, California? Oh, the garlic uh, garlic festival. festival. Right, that was right. just like was that two days ago, three days Gosh. ago? Yeah, I, I actually when people were talking about Gilroy, I was like Gilroy. That sounds familiar. Why do I remember that? Yeah, I couldn't even remember it a couple days later. It's insane. But anyway, yep. good. But the that's Ohio the, that's thing. That's the clip of things. Yeah. Yeah. So people are saying in the past couple hours that the the uh, the guy in Ohio may have been a left-wing person he may have had he posted some left-wing stuff and some pro antifa stuff and stuff like this on on his twitter page or something so he may not have been a racial shooter like like the other one yeah but but the best case argument you can make then is and i'm sure the republicans are going to latch onto this and they're going to talk talk this one to death and everything but the best thing you can say is that one out of three of the last mass shooters in america were liberal and not not directly inspired by Donald Trump uh-huh. and race. And <laughs> and even in that case, you know, Democrats with gun control, you know, issues or whatever that they support would take the guns away from both of these people, all three of these people, mm-hmm. right? Or, well, yeah. you know, may or may not take the guns away from anybody, but they're going to, you know, like, I mean, if a dam bursts, you can't rebuild the dam while the water is still flowing. you got to slow down the tide of the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they're talking about, you know, banning sales of these guns and stuff like that. And that's going to have a downstream effect, which is how the thing is probably going to have to be managed. Nobody's talking about going into everybody's house tomorrow and taking their guns. So, Mm. 
but the point is like yeah i mean number one based on the stuff this guy was doing and writing in high school it doesn't sound like he should have ever had a gun Mm-hmm. He he had kill lists and rape lists and stuff, and he was kicked out of school for a year, but then they let him back in. You know, now here we are. Mm-hmm. So, and he killed his own sister. He shot her boyfriend or something too before he went and shot up the the place that he shot up. And, mm-hmm. and he was killed within 30 seconds by the police. I mean, that's the thing like that's so crazy about this one is like I think when you think you're going to do a shooting and stuff, you imagine like. 20 minutes, a 30 minutes of carnage, like a couple hours of a police standoff or something. You don't imagine that within 30 seconds of you firing your first shot, you're going to be on the fucking ground getting hit by like small arms fire, shotgun <laughs> pellets, like, right. Bolt, you know, pistol rounds, like everything. And you're going to be over. Like, I, I don't think anybody predicted that. So, yeah, but it was still amazing how much he got off. Cause he had one of those hundred round drum extensions on it, apparently. So, um, but yeah, I've just I've found the Republican talking points just completely ridiculous, and they're always ridiculous. But this in this time, I just they are not even trying. It feels like they're like, oh, but yeah. but mental video health, games. video games. Oh, but yeah. the guy in Ohio supported Elizabeth Warren. Should we blame her? Huh? So just like you're blaming Trump, it's like, look, let's go through the list, okay? It's not because of what Elizabeth Warren said. She never said anything about people being invading hordes. And the guy in Texas drove across the state of Texas to go to this one Walmart on purpose because he wanted to kill Mexican people. Like it was, it was a, you know, it was a racially and racially motivated killing. Like it's, it's being investigated as a hate crime as it should be. And then the thing about mental health is okay. So should mental health, mentally ill people have guns? And are you, are not, aren't you the people that are trying to take away health care from people, which would cover mental health like it's just they're not even trying with these arguments like it's it's so fast the republican party is intellectually bankrupt and it's all a stalling tactic because like i said you know we we forgot about the uh gilroy california shooting already because of these new shootings you just need to throw up a smoke screen for a couple of days until donald trump says something racist or you know, China destroys the American economy or, you know, we go into a global tailspin and then everybody forgets that you said that video games were to blame for this shooting, mm-hmm. which is an obviously, obviously indefensible position. Mm-hmm. It's a joke of a position, but, you know, they're not they're not even trying. It's a smokescreen. It's it's intellectually bankrupt. They don't have ideas. This is just all they can do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um. So that was uh, part of the guns thing, the, or the, I mean, the racism thing. Congressman O'Rourke, President Trump is pursuing a re-election strategy based in part on racial division. How do you convince primary voters that you'd be the best nominee to take on President Trump and heal the racial divide in America? We'll call his racism out for what it is and also talk about its consequences. It doesn't just offend our sensibilities to hear him say, send her back about a member of Congress because she's a woman of color, because she's a Muslim American, doesn't just offend our sensibilities when he calls Mexican immigrants rapists and criminals or seeks to ban all Muslims from the shores of a country that is comprised of people from the world over, from every tradition of faith. It is also changing this country. Hate crimes are on the rise every single one of the last three years. On the day that he signed his executive order attempting to ban Muslim travel, the mosque in Victoria, Texas, was burned to the ground. So 
We must not only stand up against Donald Trump and defeat him in this next election, but we must also ensure that we don't just tolerate or respect our differences, but we embrace them. That's what we've learned in El Paso, Texas, my hometown, one of the safest cities in the United States of America, not despite, but because it's a city of immigrants and asylum seekers and refugees. We will show that our thank diversity you. is our strength in my administration. Congressman O'Rourke, thank you very much. Governor Hickenlooper, why are you the best nominee to heal the racial divide in America? Please respond. Well, the core value behind this entire country's history is working towards a more perfect union, that all people are created equal, and we've fallen far away from that. I think the job is incumbent on any one of us to make the convincing case that we can deliver uh, an urban agenda uh, that represents progress in schools. Uh, you know, in Colorado, when I was mayor, we got to universal pre-K for every kid in the urban city. We did major police reform 10 years before Ferguson. Why is it now that five years after Ferguson, we still don't have anything? How do we get affordable housing? We create a scholarship fund for every kid. You got to deliver a vision like that for the whole country. Thank you, but, Governor. Senator Warren, I'm yes. coming to you now. Last week, the FBI Director Christopher Wray said that the majority of domestic terrorism cases this year have been motivated by white supremacy. In fact, the alleged shooter in this weekend's attack in Gilroy, California, referenced a well-known white supremacist book on social media. How are you going to combat the rise of white supremacy? We need to call out white supremacy for what it is, domestic terrorism. And it poses a threat to the United States of America. We live in a country now where the president is advancing environmental racism, economic racism, criminal justice racism, healthcare racism. The way we do better is to fight back and show something better. So I have a plan, for example, on education that says we have to build a better education system for all our kids, but we've got to acknowledge what's happened on race. So my plan has universal tuition-free college for all of our kids, but also increases the Pell Grants and levels the playing field by putting $50 billion into historically black colleges and universities. It cancels student loan debt for 95% of the kids with student loan debt and helps close the black-white wealth gap in America. Thank you, Senator, very much. Mayor Buttigieg, you have been criticized for your handling of racial issues in your home city of South Bend, from diversity in the police force to housing policy. Given your record, how can you convince African Americans that you should be the Democratic nominee? As an urban mayor serving a diverse community, the racial divide lives within me. I'm not saying that I became mayor and race or poverty ended on my watch. But in our city, we have come together repeatedly to tackle challenges like the fact that far too many people were not getting the help they needed in their housing, and so we directed it to a, high, a historically underinvested African-American neighborhood. Right now, in the wake of a police-involved shooting, our community is moving from hurting to healing by making sure that the community can participate in things like revising the use of force policy and making sure there are community voices on the Board of Safety that handles police matters. I proposed a Douglas plan to tackle this issue nationally because mayors have hit the limits of what you can do unless there is national action. Systemic racism has touched every part of American life, from housing to health to home ownership. If you walk into an emergency room and you are black, your reports of pain will be taken less seriously. If you apply for a job and you are black, you are less likely to be called just because of the name 
on the resume. It's why I've proposed that we do everything from investing in historically redlined neighborhoods mayor. to build black wealth in home ownership to supporting entrepreneurship for black Thank Americans. you very much. Hickenlooper said something. Warren said something. Klobuchar said something. Buttigieg said something. <laughs> Buttigieg said the racial divide lives within me as an urban mayor. <laughs> um, Williamson said there needs to be a $500 billion payment of... Uh, of a debt that is owed, which is a, an interesting way and a, probably somewhat a proper way to talk about reparations, although... Many of your opponents support a commission to study the issue of reparations for slavery, but you are calling for up to $500 billion in financial assistance. What makes you qualified to determine how much is owed in reparations? Well, first of all, it's not $500 billion in financial assistance. It's $500 billion, 200 to $500 billion payment of a debt that is owed. That is what reparations is. We need some deep truth telling when it comes. We don't need another commission to look at evidence. I appreciate what uh, Congressman O'Rourke has said. It is time for us to simply realize that this country will not heal. All that a country is is a collection of people. People heal when there's some deep truth telling. We need to recognize that when it comes to the economic gap between blacks and whites in America, it does come from a great injustice that has never been dealt with. That great injustice has had to do with the fact that there was 250 years of slavery followed by another 100, 100 years of domestic terrorism. What makes me qualified to say 200 to $500 billion? I'll tell you what makes me qualified. If you did the math of the 40 acres and a mule, given that there was four to five million slaves at the end of, of, of the Civil War, there were four to five, and they were all promised 40 acres and a mule for every family of four. If you did the math today, it would be trillions of dollars. And I believe that anything less than $100 billion is is an insult, and I believe that 200 to 500 billion is, is politically feasible today because so many Americans realize there is an injustice that continues to form a toxicity underneath the surface, an emotional turbulence Ms. that Williamson, only reparations. Thank will you be very much. Senator Sanders. <laughs> Senator Sanders, you don't think cash payments are the best way to address this issue, but according to a new Gallup poll, 73% of African Americans are in favor of cash payments to black Americans who are descendants of slaves. How do you respond to them? Well, I respond to that by saying that I am supportive of Jim Clyburn's legislation, which is called 10-20-30. And what that understands is that as a result of slavery and segregation and the institutional racism we see now in health care, in education, in financial services, we are going to have to focus big time on rebuilding distressed communities in America, including African-American communities. In terms of education, I also have a plan. It's called the Thurgood Marshall Plan, and it would focus on ending the growth of segregated schools in America. It would triple funding for Title I schools. It would make sure that teachers in this country earned at least $60,000 a year. Senator Sanders, thank you very much. Again, I, we talked about reparations last time. Reparations may very well be owed. I think it's really hard to figure out who is owed them and who should pay them, but, um, and, and how to justify that and how to make that a winning issue and how to get anything else done when that's something you're trying to get done. Mm -hmm. I think it's a red herring of an issue, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. 
Uh, Sanders says something about teachers earning teachers should earn $60,000 a year starting salary, which I think is great. Um, obviously, although I'm not a public school teacher in America, so I wouldn't get it, but whatever. Um, Delaney says raise capital gains tax, raise taxes. Okay. Uh, I, I don't, and that kind of brought us to the economy. I don't know how we got there off of the race issue, but <laughs> let's turn now to the economy. Congressman Ryan, President Trump's tariffs have boosted the U.S. steel industry, but hurt auto manufacturers like those here in Michigan, which could drive up the cost of cars. As president, would you continue President Trump's steel tariffs? Look, I, I think President Trump was on to something when he talked about China. China has been abusing the economic system for a long time. They steal intellectual property. They subsidize goods coming into this country. They've displaced steel workers, auto workers across the board, eroded our manufacturing. And we basically transferred our wealth of our middle class either up to the top 1% or to China for them to build their military. So I think we need some targeted response against China. But you know how you beat China? You outcompete them. And that's why I put a chief manufacturing officer in place to make sure that we rebuild the manufacturing base. We've got to fill these factories that in Detroit, in Youngstown, that used to make cars and steel, we've got to fill them with workers who are making electric vehicles, batteries, charging stations, make sure they're making solar panels. As I said earlier, China dominates 60% of the solar panel market. They dominate 50 to 60% of the electric vehicle market. We're going to make 10 million electric vehicles somewhere in the world in the next 10 years. I want them made in the United States. That's why I have a chief manufacturing officer that will sit in the White House and help drive this agenda. Thank you. Just as a point of clarification, as president, would you continue President Trump's steel tariffs, yes or no? Well, I would have to reevaluate. I think some of them are effective, but he's bungled the whole thing, obviously. He has, see, here's the problem with President Trump. He has a tactical move, one of many. Um, he has a tactical move. What's the grand strategy for the United States? China has a 100-year plan, a 50-year plan, a 30-year plan, a 20-year plan. We live in a 24-hour news cycle. That spells disaster for our economy and disaster for our global politics. Thank you, Congressman. Congressman Delaney, your response. So listen, this is what I don't understand. President Trump wants to build physical walls and beats up on immigrants. Most of the folks running for president want to build economic walls to free trade and beat up on President Obama. I'm the only one running for president who actually supports the Trans-Pacific Partnership. President Obama was right about that. We should be getting back in that. Senator Warren just issued a, a trade plan that would prevent the United States from trading with its allies. We can't go and we can't isolate ourselves from the world. We have to engage Thank with you. fair rules based. Thank you, Congressman trade. Delaney. Senator Warren, please respond. You know, for decades, we have had a trade policy that has been written by giant multinational corporations to help giant multinational corporations. They have no loyalty to America, they have no patriotism. If they can save a nickel, by moving a job to Mexico, they'll do it in a heartbeat. If they can continue a polluting plant by moving it to Vietnam, they'll do it in a heartbeat. I have put out a new comprehensive plan that says we're not gonna do it that way. We're gonna negotiate our deals with unions at the table, with small businesses at the table, with small farmers at the table, with environmentalists at the table, with human rights activists at the table. And then we're gonna use the fact that everybody in the world wants to get to America's markets. They wanna to sell to you. That was the TPP. Congressman Delaney. 
Sorry. Is, thank, is thank everyone you, wants to get to America's you, markets? Senator. No. So the question Senator, is, Senator, thank you. Please abide by the rules. Congressman Delaney, it's your turn. Thank you, Senator. Congressman Delaney. So. That was the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I think President Obama was right. He did include environmental standards. He did include labor standards. We would be in an entirely different position with China if we had entered the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We can't isolate ourselves from the world. We can't isolate ourselves from Asia. Senator Warren's plan basically that she put out, we would not be able to trade with the United Kingdom. No, we would not be able to trade about. with the EU. It is so extreme that it'll Thank isolate you, the American Thank you, economy from the rest of the world. Senator. Notice Senator Warren. Senator Sanders, please let Senator Warren respond. Oh, I'm sorry. The, what the congressman is describing as extreme is having deals that are negotiated by American workers for American workers. American workers want those jobs, and we can build the trade deals that do it. People want access to our markets all around the world. Then the answer is, let's make them raise their standards. Make them pay their workers more. Let their workers unionize. Raise their environmental standards before they come to us and say they want to be able to sell their products. Right now, the whole game is working for the big multinationals. It's just not working for the people here in the United States, Senator, and we can thank change you very much. that. Congressman O'Rourke, your response. You know, the, the question was about tariffs, and they're a huge mistake. They constitute the largest tax increase on the American consumer, hitting the middle class and the working poor especially hard. And farmers in Iowa and across the country are bearing the brunt of the consequences. When have we ever gone to war, including a trade war, without allies and friends and partners? As president, we will hold China accountable, but we will bring our allies and friends like the European Union to bear, and we'll also negotiate trade deals that favor farmers and American workers and protect human rights and the environment and labor, not just here in the United States, but in those countries. Thank you very much. Senator Sanders, please respond to Congressman O'Rourke. You're looking, I believe, at the only member of Congress who not only voted against these disastrous trade agreements, NAFTA, PNTR with China, which cost us over 4 million jobs, but also helped lead the effort against these agreements. Now, Elizabeth is absolutely right. If anybody here thinks that corporate America gives one damn about the average American worker, you're mistaken. If they can save five cents by going to China, Mexico, or Vietnam, or any place else, that's exactly what they would do. As president, let me tell you what I will do. These guys line up at the federal trough. They want military contracts. They want all kinds of contracts. Well, under my administration, you ain't going to get those contracts if you throw Senators, American workers Sanders, out on the street. Thank you very much. Governor Hickenlooper, your response. So, so I think, again, I think Congressman Delaney has got a point here, and there is a way of looking at a trade that is therapeutic. The bottom line is, you talk to any economist, there is not a single example in history where a trade war had a winner. Trade wars are for losers. And the bottom line is you've got to recognize, let's negotiate a better trade deal, but you're not going to win against China in a trade war when they've got 25% of our total debt. And step back and look at it. Here's Trump gives that giant tax cut. And at the same time, so we're paying in tariffs about $800 to $1,200 per household. And then we give this incredible tax cut to the rich. 
essentially what's happening is now he's transferred that tax obligation onto the middle class. That's what's outrageous, but tariffs are not the solution. Governor, thank you. Senator Warren. Anyone who thinks that these trade deals are mostly about tariffs just doesn't understand what's going on. Look at the new NAFTA 2.0. What's the central feature? It's to help pharmaceutical companies get longer periods of exclusivity so they can charge Canadians, Americans, and Mexicans more money and make more profits. That's what trade deals have become. They have become a way for giant multinationals to change the regulatory environment so they can suck more profits out for themselves and to leave the American people behind. We have to have the courage to fight back against that. Senator, corruption. thank you. Governor Bullock, your response? You know, Farmer and Rippey said to me, every time that Trump tweets, we lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. If Montana had to eat all the wheat that we produce, every Montana would have to eat 40 loaves of bread a day. But by the same token, what we have is, I actually agree with Senator Warren on this in part. Corporations can move capital easy. Workers can't move. So going forward, we need to make sure that our trade deals actually are protecting, thinking about the workers. They can't be the stepchild, but the way to do it with this blunt instrument of tariffs that the president's doing, that's not how we get a fair deal for farmers anywhere or the manufacturers here in Detroit. Well, Governor, thank you very much. Mayor, stand by, please, stand by, please. Please abide by the rules. Mayor Buttigieg, on Thursday of this week, a GM plant in Michigan will stop production, the latest auto plant to cease operations in the industrial Midwest. This comes as part of the company's modernization plans, which will eventually result in 6,000 hourly workers losing their jobs or being reassigned to other plants. What is your plan for retraining workers whose jobs are at risk? This happened in my community 20 years before I was born, and when I was growing up, we were still picking up the pieces. Empty factories, empty houses, poverty. I know exactly what happens to a community when these closures take place, and there will be more. It's why we actually need to put the interests of workers first. Of course, we need to do retraining. We're doing it now in South Bend. We should continue to do it. But this is so much bigger than a trade fight. This is about a moment when the economy is changing before our eyes. There are people in the gig economy who go through more jobs in a week than my parents went through in their lifetime. It's why I've proposed that we allow gig workers to unionize, because a gig is a job and a worker is a worker. Thank you, Mayor. We have to respond to all of these changes and, uh, you know, in addition to confronting tech, in addition to supporting workers by doubling unionization, as I propose to do, some of this is low tech, too. Like, the minimum wage is just too low. And so-called conservative Christian senators right now in the Senate are blocking a bill to raise the minimum wage when Scripture says that whoever oppresses the poor taunts their maker. Uh, that brought us to the economy, which was another topic also. Um, let's see. Ryan said Trump was on Trump was on to something about China. He said China has a 100-year plan, a 50-year plan, a 30-year plan, a 20-year plan. We live in a 24-hour news cycle, which is okay. Yeah, good line. But, like, I mean, like, you know, the five-year plans of Mao's five-year plans, like, that's, that's a communist idea. I think be careful, Ryan. You're getting pretty left there. <laughs> so... But yeah, that's I, I think that's, uh, you know, yeah, they have a plan and we, you know, want to maintain short term profits sometimes. Mm -hmm. So and they have a government that can control the industry. We have industry that controls government. 
and industry wants short-term profits. In China, they're going to say, yeah, we're going to devalue the currency and to, you know, offset these things that Trump is doing or whatever. And it's, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm not an economics guy, but it's like they have a they have a government that can control the industry and says what the policy is going to be. And they're going to say, you're going to suffer in the short term here for some time. But in the long term, this is going to be good for the country. And the industry says, yes, boss, mm-hmm. basically. Right. I mean, it's like that's just that's a that's a dynamic in the fight with China. Mm-hmm. Um, Delaney said, I support the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um Let's see. He says Trump beats up on immigrants, but he says a lot of people here tonight are about to beat up on Obama for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Uh, Warren said 50 million in first dollar, 50 million dollars you get for free. But on your 50 million in first dollar, you got to you got to pitch in two cents on every dollar after that. I don't know. O'Rourke, Sanders, Hickenlooper and Bullock said stuff I didn't really write down. Mm hmm. Delaney said, raise capital gains tax, raise taxes, even though he's rich. I mean, I think that it was kind of unfortunate that we had all this uh, thing with the mass shooting and the economy right before this debate, because it would have been interesting to hear their reactions to all that has been happening in the last few days here. But I guess that's right after right after the debate. Well, like the markets tanking and these mass shootings and stuff like um, i don't know no i'm saying you said right before the debate but actually it happened right after the debate right yeah that's that's what i meant so yeah 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 it is well we'll see about the next debate we'll we'll see where we are a month from now mm-hmm. for sure yeah after the economy they came to student debt i'm going to turn to the issue of student debt now mayor no. Buttigieg. you've talked about how you and your husband are paying down six figures of student loan debt. Under Senator Sanders' proposal to cancel all student loan debt, yours would immediately be wiped away. Why wouldn't you support that? That'd be great for us. And then the next day, there would be a student loan program, and people would be out taking student loans, wondering they weren't, why they weren't lucky enough in timing to get theirs wiped away completely, too. We can have debt-free college for low- and middle-income students by expanding Pell Grants and compelling states to pick up more of the burden. And on the back end, for those of us who do have a lot of debt, we can make it more affordable and we can expand a public service loan forgiveness program, which is an excellent program that is almost impossible to actually get access to right now. We can take these steps and have an approach that is actually fair. If we want to start wiping away student debt, here's where I would start. I would start with the for-profit colleges that took advantage of people, especially veterans, by the way. The moment I redeployed, my Facebook ad feed started filling with ads from these for-profit colleges. Under President Obama, they were held accountable for whether they delivered results. President Obama, uh, President Trump, under a Secretary of Education, uh, who uh, regrettably is from this state, uh, did away with those rules. There's no accountability. On my watch, those colleges that turned the Department of Education into a predatory lender, that's where we would begin when it came to getting rid of loans. Thank you, Mayor Buttigieg. Senator Sanders, you want to forgive all student loan debt? Your Matter response? Of fact, I do. But before I get into that, the major issue that we don't talk about in Congress, we don't talk about in the media, is the massive level of income and wealth inequality in America. You got three people who own more wealth than the bottom 90%. You got top 1% that owns more wealth than the bottom 92%, 49% of all new income goes to the top 1%. Companies like Amazon and billionaires out there do not pay one nickel in federal income tax. 
and we've got 500,000 people sleeping out on the street. What we need is a political revolution that tells these billionaires and corporate America that they are Americans, they'll participate in our society, but they have got to start paying their fair share of taxes. Period. Thank you, Senator Sanders. Ms. Williamson, want to respond. you are proposing to make college free for all qualified students. Should the government pay for children from wealthier families to go to college? I think that all domestic and international policy should be based on the idea that anything we do to help people thrive is a stimulation to our economy. That's how you stimulate your economy. So if a few people take advantage, but there are four or five people who are going to take the money that they then have in the bank, when you look at this $1.5 trillion college debt, this is why I agree with Bernie, or I would be, okay, why don't we swap it? We had a $2 trillion tax cut where 83 cents of every dollar goes to the very, very richest among us that does not stimulate the economy. If we get rid of this college debt, think of all the young people who will have the discretionary spending, they'll be able to start their business. The best thing you could do to stimulate the U.S. economy is to get rid of this debt. This is not just about a plan to do it, it's about a philosophy of governing. And I've heard some people here tonight, I almost wonder why you're Democrats. You seem to think there's something wrong about using, about using the instruments of government to help people. That is what government should do. It should, all policies should help people thrive. That is how we will have peace, and Thank that is you. how we will have prosperity. Thank you, Ms. Williamson. Congressman O'Rourke, you don't support free four-year college. Your response to Ms. Williamson. I support free two-year college. Earn that associate's degree, realize your full potential, debt-free four-year college. But unlike some of the other candidates on the stage, that's not just for tuition. That is room and books and board, the full cost of being able to better yourself so that you can better this country. And then for that school teacher, who in many places like Texas is working a second or a third job, full forgiveness for her outstanding student loan debt, forgiveness for that person willing to work at the VA and serve our former service members. And we do not do that at the expense of unions. We elevate them as well and make it easier to join an apprenticeship to learn a skill or a trade that you can command for the rest of your Thank life. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Senator Klobuchar, your response. I want to make it easier for kids to go to college. And I think we do it by focusing our resources on the people that need it most. And my problem with some of these plans is they literally would pay for wealthy kids, for Wall Street kids, to go to college. There's no difference. It says everyone is free. I don't think that makes sense. And I'm very concerned if we do things like that, the debt we're going to pass on to the next generation and the next generation. So what I would do about student loan debt is that I would allow people to refinance it at a better rate, and I would make sure that we improve those student loan repayment programs for our teachers and expand them so that you literally, over five, ten years, can get it paid for if you go into occupations where we don't have enough workers. Uh, Buttigieg talked about a public service loan forgiveness program. Mm, I'm not really about it, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's, I, I think War, uh, Harris has a similar thing. Like if you, I think, and this is something we can talk about on the next debate thing too. She said, like, if you have student debt and you start a business in a low income community and you run it for three or five years or something, then we'll forgive your debts. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, I'm, I'm in debt. I get out of college. I'm in debt. And now I'm going to have the capital to start my own business 
and I'm an, and if I don't live in a low income community as designated by that, like that, I'm going to move to a low income community, start my own business, start up a business, keep the business afloat one way or the other for three years. And no, that's that's a non-starter, right? That's not a serious idea. Yeah, so. it just doesn't make any sense. Like, it's one of those things, like, you have to earn the right to this. It's just like, no, just forgive it for everybody. Like, it's like, stop making people jump through hoops. And we've already had this thing where people jump through hoops, and they don't even honor it. What was the thing with De- Betsy DeVos, like, where it was like, if you were in, like, civil service or something and made 10 years of payments, it'd all be forgiven, but only, like, 30 people qualified after, like, the thousands of people tried it, and it was... Mm-hmm. So ridiculous. It's like a it's like a way to say that you're doing something without doing something, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like you forgive the student loan debts, people will start businesses. People are not going to start a business without you with with the student loan debt over their head, right? It's like yeah, no kidding. It's just ba- it's ass backwards. So yeah. Um, let's see. Um, Williamson had a good line. Uh. I don't know why you're Democrats, she said. You seem to think there's something wrong with using the instruments of government to help people, which is a a pretty good line, I thought. I mean, like, yeah. But I I mean, uh, yeah, as as annoyed as I was with the contingent we were talking about, the takedown Bernie and Hillary uh, Warren contingent, uh, Mm -hmm. I I felt like that's good to exercise those demons now. Because they're going to come back later when we actually have to, like, face the other side. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's like, we may as well have this fight now with you people that aren't going to be president. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Um, I don't know. I think it's a good point. I think, I don't know, a couple of podcasts ago, I think we talked about something I'd read or something I'd heard said that, like, um, it was an article, I think it was in The Atlantic or something that was very critical of the the what can we say the kind of the crowdfunding economy or whatever because they say that basically the crowdfunding economy is covering things that government funding and sponsorship used to cover right but because government's not doing its job and not doing what it's supposed to do these days that means that people are turning to like if i think you have a worthy cause or i think that your health care is worth this or your small business idea is worth this then you know we're going to have private people give you a loan Right. And then you're going to be accountable to them. It's like and it is an indication that government's not doing something maybe that it should be doing or has done in the past. And so I thought, you know, Williamson's line kind of reminded me of that. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, um, O'Rourke talks about free two year college, not four year college. He's like, you know, go out there and get your associate's degree and be all that you can be, be the best that you can be or something. It's like, oh, <laughs> Come on, <laughs> just go all the way. Don't 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 do these half measures. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I don't know what everybody from our school that got associate's degrees is doing right now. I don't. I really don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can tell you what a lot of people who got four years or more are doing. But yeah, <laughs> no, the two of them are doing this podcast, right, Chad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at we, us. <laughs> we 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 made it. <laughs> That's right. We sailed right past that associate's degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, you know, there's an argument to be made. You you go for two years for your associates and then you transfer to a four year college if the credits transfer and stuff. But I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know why you're in the Democratic debate if you're pushing these kinds of half measures. Yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, uh, that yeah, Republicans that line can... did stop me stop me cold. I was kinda like, Whoa, dream big there, Beto. <laughs> yeah. Not born for this, man. <laughs> not born for this. So Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a uh, that was a that was kind of a clunker idea, I thought. Um Yeah, yeah. Uh, then they came to military intervention. I want to turn to foreign policy now. Senator Sanders, President Trump has argued that the United States cannot continue to be the, quote, policeman of the world. You said the exact same thing on a debate stage in 2016. If voters are hearing the same message from you and President Trump on the issue of military intervention, how should they expect that you will be any different from him? Trump is a pathological liar. I tell the truth. We have been in Afghanistan, I think, 18 years, in Iraq, 16 or 17 years. We have spent $5 trillion on the war on terror, and there are probably more terrorists out there now than before it began. We're going to spend the Congress passed, and I will not vote for, a $715 billion military budget, more than the 10 next countries combined. What we need is a foreign policy that focuses on diplomacy, ending conflicts by people sitting at a table, not by killing each other. As President of the United States, I will go to the United Nations and not denigrate it, not attack the UN, but bring countries together in the Middle East and all over the world to come to terms with their differences and solve those problems peacefully. The United Thank States you, has got to, cannot be the policeman of the Thank world. Thank you, Senator. Governor Hickenlooper, how do you respond to Senator Sanders' vision for America's role in the world? Well, we share the, the recognition of the incredible cost. People don't realize that half the soldiers that fought in Iraq and Afghanistan were National Guard. And so I went and sent them off on their deployments, big, you know, noisy uh, hangars, but I also mourned with their families when they, when they didn't come back. We are able now to, I call it constant engagement, but we should have an international diplomatic approach where we're talking to everybody. Because if we're going to deal with climate change and cybersecurity and nuclear proliferation, we've got to be talking to everybody. And tariff wars don't work. They're for losers. Thank you, Governor. I want to uh, go to Congressman Ryan, and I want to turn to the subject uh, of North Korea, which just hours ago uh, launched two short-range ballistic missiles for the second time in less than a week. Congressman, you said that you would not meet with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un unless you were at least close to a deal. Now, Senator Klobuchar says that she would, quote, always be willing to meet with leaders to discuss policies. Is that view wrong? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I love Amy Klobuchar, but I think she's wrong on this one. I don't think presidents of the United States meet with dictators. We saw what just happened with President Trump. He goes to the demilitarized zone, Uh, with the leader of North Korea, gives him a huge photo op, gives him global credibility because the most powerful person in the world is sitting there meeting with him, and weeks later he's lobbing uh, more missiles. That doesn't make any sense. We've got to demilitarize our foreign policy. 
We've got to make sure that we are engaging these countries all the time. This is very difficult work. I've been in Congress 17 years. I've sat on the Defense Appropriations Committee. I sat on the Armed Services Committee. This is long, tedious work, much of it done outside of the eye of the TV camera. And as president, you've got to monitor that and be very disciplined every day. Don't go give a dictator a huge win. Sit down and do your job. And the same thing uh, with what's happening in Central America. He's cutting the State Department budget. Nicaragua, Guatemala, El Salvador, Thank where the migrants are coming from, go fix the problem at its source and use diplomacy to do it. Senator Klobuchar, your response? I think we agree. I just think you have to leave open the possibility of meeting with anyone at any place. What I don't like is how this president has handled it. You've heard of the Truman Doctrine, the Monroe Doctrine. He's done the go-it-alone doctrine with the rest of the world. He's taken us out of the climate change agreement, out of the Iran nuclear agreement, out of the Russian nuclear agreement, and I don't agree with that. And when he was just with Vladimir Putin at the G20, when he was asked about invading our democracy, he made a joke. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have lost their lives on the battlefield to protect our democracy and our right to vote. Thank Four you. little girls in Birmingham, Alabama, lost their life in a church at Thank the you, height Senator. of the Civil Rights Amendment. So I do believe you meet with people, but you better have an agenda you, and you better put our interests of our country first, not Thank the Russians. Thank you, Senator Klobuchar. Um, Mayor Buttigieg, you served in Afghanistan where just yesterday two U.S. service members were killed. There are currently about 14,000 U.S. service members in Afghanistan. You've said, quote, one thing everybody can agree on is that we're getting out of Afghanistan. Will you withdraw all U.S. service members by the end of your first year in office? We will withdraw. We have to. In your first year? Yes. Look, around the world, we will do whatever it takes to keep America safe. But I thought I was one of the last troops leaving Afghanistan when I thought I was turning out the lights years ago. Every time I see news about somebody being killed in Afghanistan, I think about what it was like to hear an explosion over there and wonder whether it was somebody that I served with, somebody that I knew, a friend, roommate, colleague. We're pretty close to the day when we will wake up to the news of a casualty in Afghanistan who was not born on 9-11. I was sent into that war by a congressional authorization as well as a president. And we need to talk not only about the need for a president committed to ending endless war, but the fact that Congress has been asleep at the switch. And on my watch, I will propose that any authorization for the use of military force have a three-year sunset and have to be renewed. Because if men and women in the military have the courage to go serve, members of Congress ought to have Thank to you, summon Mayor. the courage to vote on whether they ought Thank to be Thank you, there. Mayor. I want to bring in Congressman O'Rourke. Congressman O'Rourke, responding, uh, returning rather to the question of whether you would withdraw all U.S. service members from Afghanistan during your first year in office as president. How do you respond, sir? I would in my first term in office uh, agree that there is nothing about uh, perpetuating this war already in its 18th year that will make it any better. We've satisfied the reasons for our involvement in Afghanistan in the first place. And it's time to bring those service members back home from Afghanistan, but also 
from Iraq, also from Yemen and Somalia and Libya and Syria. There is no reason for us to be at war all over the world tonight. As president, I will end those wars and we will not start new wars. We will not send more U.S. service members overseas to sacrifice their lives and to take the lives of others in our name. We can resolve these challenges peacefully Thank and diplomatically. Thank Governor Hickenlooper, you disagree. You've said that you're open to keeping some service members in Afghanistan beyond you. Look at it as a Please humanitarian respond. issue, and with all due respect, you're looking at the condition of women. If we completely Thank pull you. our troops out of there, you're going to see a, a humanitarian disaster that will startle and, and, and frighten every man, woman, and child in this country. And I don't think, I mean, we have troops in over 400 different locations around the world. Most of them are small. They're peacekeeping. They're not greatly at risk. We're going to have to be in Afghanistan. Look at the progress that's happened in that country. We're going to turn our backs and walk away from people that have risked their lives to help us and build a different future for Afghanistan and that Thank part you, of Governor. the world. Thank you, Governor. <laughs> Senator Warren, you want to make it U.S. policy that the U.S. will never use a nuclear weapon unless another country uses one first. Now, President Obama reportedly considered that policy but ultimately decided against it. Why should the U.S tie its own hands with that policy? Because it makes the world safer. The United States is not going to use nuclear weapons preemptively, and we need to say so to the entire world. It reduces the likelihood that someone miscalculates, someone misunderstands. Our first responsibility is to keep ourselves safe. And what's happening right now with Donald Trump as they keep expanding the different ways that we have nuclear weapons, the different ways that they could be used, puts us all at risk. You know, we talk about what's happening around the world. I have three older brothers who served in the military. I see that they would do anything. Our military is the best on earth, but we should not be asking our military to take on jobs that do not have a military solution. We need to use our diplomatic tools, our economic tools, and if we're gonna send someone into war, we better have a plan for how we're gonna get them out on the other end. Thank you, Senator. Governor Bullock, your response to Senator Warren's proposal to the U.S. never use a nuclear weapon first? I wouldn't want to take that off the table. I think America's strength, we have to be able to say that. Look, never, I hope, certainly in my term or anyone else, would we really even get close to pulling that trigger. But by the same token, America's strength, and look, this president's made America versus America alone. Our allies no longer trust us. Our adversaries are with us. But going from a position of strength, we should be negotiating down so there aren't nuclear weapons. But drawing those lines in sand at this point, I wouldn't do. Thank you, Governor. Senator Warren, your response? Look, we don't expand trust around the world by saying, you know, we might be the first ones to use a nuclear weapon. That puts the entire world at risk and puts us at risk right in the middle of this. At a time when Donald Trump is pulling out of our nuclear negotiations, expanding the opportunities for nuclear proliferation around the world, has pulled us out of the deal in Iran, and Iran is now working on its nuclear weapon. The world gets closer and closer to nuclear warfare. Senator, we have to have Senator. an announced policy that is one the entire world can live with. We need to make that clear. We will respond you, if Senator someone Warren. else does, but Governor not Bullock, first. Governor Bullock, please respond. Part I agree with. 
But by the same token, like we need to get back to nuclear proliferation. What? But when you have folks de-proliferation, <laughs> reducing them, but at the same time, when you actually have Korea, when you have others, I don't want to turn around and say, well, Detroit has to be gone before we would ever use that. When so many crazy folks are getting closer to have a nuclear weapon, I don't want them to think I could strike this country and I, I and we as the United States of America wouldn't do a thing. Part of the strength really is the ability Governor to Bullock. deter. So they said, Bernie, you know, Donald Trump says America doesn't need to be the world's police just like you. So how are you different? He's like, well, Trump is a pathological liar. He says, I tell the truth. <laughs> okay. Um, Hickenlooper talked about meeting anyone at any time, any place. Um, keep the troops in Afghanistan. Um, humanitarian disaster if we leave. Uh, women, women's rights, things like that. He said, we have, you know, we have troops in 400 places around the world. So, you know, basically, why should Afghanistan be any different? Which is, eh, I, I don't know. I'm not totally disagreeing with that. I, you know, the mission's not accomplished in Afghanistan. I mean, you could make two arguments about that. The mission we set out to accomplish was accomplished or the mission will never be accomplishable. <laughs> so um, it may be, you know, it may be that if we can't do what we did for Germany, Japan, Korea, places like that by keeping troops there, then maybe they don't need to be there. But I think, you know, it is true that we have troops in a lot of places to stabilize places around the world. And some parts of the world are stable because of that. So, mm -hmm. um, Ryan talked about no meeting with North Korea unless close to a deal. Uh, Buttigieg said withdraw Afghanistan within first year. Uh, use of force authorization should have a three year sunset period so that, you know, so that the Congress has to, they can't avoid the responsibility. They have to, if they want to extend it, they have to vote to extend it every three years, which is probably smart. I don't know. If you have a, like a Mitch McConnell Senate though, or something like that, then maybe not. But, uh, um, yeah. Uh, better O'Rourke said first term withdrawal from Afghanistan. The question was first, first day or first year, I think. But he said first term, not first year. Um, Warren said no nuclear first strike. For some reason, this was controversial. And I think one of the one of the four horsemen of the takedown, the liberals even said, like, we're, we're giving up our uh, our deterrence effect. If we get rid of the nuclear first strike, it's like, no deterrence effect, as I understand it is that if you nuke us, we'll definitely nuke you back, right? Like, mutually that's, that's, assured destruction, yeah. Yeah, it's not that we might nuke you first. I don't I don't think, I mean, maybe I don't fully understand military policy, but, like, I don't think that's, maybe that's part of the deterrence because we're saying, like, if, if Russia, like, does a ground invasion of, like, California or something or Alaska, then we'll nuke their Moscow or something. But, like, uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. things things need to be going the other way on nuclear weapons of course donald trump just let the uh nuclear deproliferation thing with russia expire just yesterday or two days ago i think so we'll see how that goes but um bullock says don't take nuclear first strike off the table uh we need to get back to nuclear proliferation i er, i mean deproliferation <laughs> I noticed that too. <laughs> yes, I don't know. We know what he meant, but like, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of Freudian slip or whatever to, to, to make. Yeah. Um, 
there was a question about age. As you know, to serve as president of the United States, all of you know this, you have to be at least 35 years old. So, Mayor Buttigieg, you just qualified. You're 37, the youngest candidate in this field. Standing next to you is the oldest candidate, Bernie Sanders, at age 77. Should voters take into consideration age when choosing a presidential candidate? I don't care how old you are. I care about your vision. But I do think it matters that we have a new generation of leaders stepping up around the world. Uh, leaders like the, um, I actually think it's good that the Prime Minister of New Zealand's gotten a lot of attention in democratic debates. She's masterful. She is younger uh, than I would be when I take office. Uh, this is the kind of trend America might be leading uh, instead of following, but only if it's actually backed by the right vision. Uh, and we can have great presidents at any age. What I will say is we need the kind of vision that's going to win. We cannot have a vision that amounts to back to normal. It's the only reason we got this president is that normal didn't work. We have to be ready to take on this president. And by the way, something that hasn't been talked about as much tonight, take on his enablers in Congress. You know, when, when David Duke, when David Duke ran for Congress, ran for governor, the Republican Party 20 years ago ran away from him. Today, they are supporting naked racism in the White House, or at best silent about it. And if you are watching this at home, and you are a Republican member of Congress, consider the fact that when the sun sets on your career, and they are writing your story of all the good and bad things you did in your life, the thing you will be remembered for is whether in this moment with this president, you found the courage to stand up to him, or you continue to put party over country. Thank you, Mayor. Senator Sanders. As a senior statesman of the group, please respond to Mayor Budapest. Well, Pete is right. It's a question of vision. It's what it is, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're in between. And my vision, among other things, says that if we're going to fight for health care, we don't take money from the drug companies or the insurance companies. And I've asked all of the candidates who are running to say they will not accept money from those entities who, in my view, are going to war against the American people in terms of health care. That's a new vision. A new vision says that we must cancel completely student debt because the younger generation in this country today, for the first time in modern American history, will have a lower standard of living than their parents. They asked Pete Buttigieg, you know, is Bernie too old? <laughs> Basically, he says, well, we need a new we need a new generation if you have the right vision. So kind of like, yeah, yeah, younger people. That, if, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was actually even a jab, even as he was saying that it was like good that Bernie had vision. It's like vision, you know, like old people who can't see. Look at me. I'm not wearing glasses. Bernie's wearing glasses. He doesn't have any vision. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the glasses are going to be important included in the new Medicare for all bill for the elderly. <laughs> <laughs> So sometimes you, you you think like when when he said like uh when he had that exchange with what's his name you don't know that Bernie he's like Medicare for all is going to include uh yeah uh, glasses for vision and uh, and hearing aids and uh, dental it's like at, at a certain point is this is, is Medicare for all just a wish list for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time to replace these glasses. I need a new prescription. Medicare for me. I mean, all, all, definitely all. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was a that was a thought I had, but yeah. That's funny. Um, so, 
And so, yeah, but it, it's correct. You can't just have a young person. Like people think like, I want to have somebody younger. It's like, well, do they have the right policy? No, I just think like Bernie and, you know, Trump and uh, Biden, they're all just too old. We just need somebody younger. Any younger person will do. I don't it's, know. It's, a, it's wrong-headed. Sarah Palin and Paul Ryan weren't that old, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's what's that? What's that? Miller, Stephen Miller. Oh God, he's Technically, younger than he's us. young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think finally we came to closing statements. Uh, we have covered a lot of ground tonight. Now it is time for closing statements. You will each receive one minute. Governor Bullock, we're going to begin with you. Thanks, Jake. I was raised in a single-parent household, at times paycheck to paycheck. Only knew there was a governor's house in town because I delivered newspapers to it. So I've made it about four blocks in life. Worked my way through college, paid my way through law school. But you know, I had a chance to actually go from delivering newspapers to the governor's house as a kid to now raising our three kids in it. We got to recognize for far too many people in America that shot no longer exists. And for far too many in this country, it never has. I'm running for president to beat Donald Trump, win back the places we lost, and make sure that Americans know that where Washington has left them behind in their economy and their political system, I'll be there. This isn't a choice just between center and left, or about we don't have to choose between what we don't want and what we can't afford. Folks want a different way. They want to believe the economy and our democracy can work for us. That's why I'm running for president. Thank you. Ms. Williamson? <clears throat> yes. Our problem is not just that we need to defeat Donald Trump. We need a plan to solve institutionalized hatred, collectivized hatred, and white nationalism. And in order to do that, we need more than political insider game and wonkiness and intellectual argument. Those things will not defeat Donald Trump. We need some radical truth-telling not just to talk about health care, but talk about why are we so sick all the time. We need to have a serious conversation about race and what is truly owed. Even on the subject of foreign policy, it's all about symptoms and not about cause. We need to talk about the fact that the United States has sacrificed our moral leadership, the fact that countries see us not only domestically but internationally with policies that simply support our corporate overlords, the fact that our national defense agenda is driven more by short-term profits for defense contractors than by genuine peace building. There's some corruption that is so deep, ladies and gentlemen. And until the Democratic Party is ready to speak to the deeper corruption, knowing that we ourselves sometimes, because of our own corporate donations, have participated, then I'm afraid those who vote for Trump will continue to vote for Trump, and those who might not like Donald Trump will continue to stay home. I want a, a politics that goes much deeper. I want a politics that speaks to the heart. Because the only way to fight, you keep talking about how we're going to fight Donald Trump. You can't fight dog whistles. You have to override them. And the only way you can override them is with new voices, voices of energy that only come from the fact that America has been willing to live up to our own mistakes, atone for our own mistakes, make amends for our own mistakes, love each other, love our democracy, love future generations, something emotional and psychological that will not be, be, be emerging from anything on this stage. It will emerge from something I'm the one who's qualified to bring forth. Congressman Delaney. Thank you, Jake. John F. Kennedy famously said, we should not seek the Republican answer. We should not seek the Democratic answer. We should seek the right answer. He was right when he said it. 
and he's right today as well. Donald Trump is the symptom of a disease, and the disease is divisiveness. And I'm the only one on the stage talking about curing that disease, which with big ideas like national service, by focusing on actually solving problems. If we work together, we can fix healthcare and build infrastructure. We can invest in not just technology, but people and entrepreneurs, whether they be in Storm Lake, Iowa, or Detroit, Michigan, or Baltimore, Maryland. We can fight climate change and reimagine our education system. But we have to do it with real solutions, not impossible promises. Isn't it time we had a president who was a leader in both the private sector and in government to lead us into the future? I promise, as president, I will restore vision, unity, and leadership and decency to this country. And that's why I'm running for president. Thank you. Congressman Ryan. So in a few minutes, all of the pundits are going to be uh, looking at this debate and saying, well, who captured the left lane and who captured the center lane and who's the, who captured the moderate lane? I hope tonight, at some level, I captured your imagination. Your imagination about what this country could be like if we united, if we put together real policies that weren't left or right, but new and better. That's how we win the future. It's new and better, a new and better economy, a new and better education system, a new and better healthcare system that focuses on prevention, an education system that focuses on the trauma of our kids. There's not gonna be a savior, not gonna be a superstar that's gonna fix all this. It's gonna be you and me. It's gonna be us. That's how we fix this country. You and I coming together to do big things, to imagine the new country that we want by coming together, not left or right, new and better. Governor Hickenlooper. Thank you, and what a night, I've loved it. I'd like to ask every American to imagine that you are facing life-threatening surgery tomorrow, would you choose a doctor who had a track record of proven success, who'd actually done the work, or someone who had just talked about it? That's the question we're facing in this primary. I've actually got a track record as a small business owner, as a mayor, and as a governor. We expanded healthcare in Colorado, got near universal coverage. We fought climate change directly, right? We beat the NRA. And for the last three years, we've been the number one economy in the country. We can ramp all that out. I'm as progressive as anybody up on this stage, but I'm also pragmatic. And I've done the things that most of these other people are just talking about, and I know I can get results. And I can lead the people of this country toward a stronger, a healthier, and a more secure future, and defeat Donald Trump and return this country to its glory. Thank you. Senator Klobuchar. Well, thank you, Detroit. To win, we have to listen to people. And out there today is Casey Joe's mom. Casey Joe was a champion high school swimmer from a small town. She got sick, went to the emergency room, and got hooked on opioids. The last thing that she said to her mom was, Mama, it's not my fault. And she died. A lot of Americans say the same thing every day. And that is what I will stand up for 
And what I will stand up against are companies like those pharma companies that got her hooked on those opioids and didn't tell the doctors or the patients what was going to happen. We need someone that has people's back. We also need someone that can win. And I have won in these red districts. I win in the Midwest. I can win in states like Wisconsin and Michigan and Iowa. I also will do my job without fear or favor, just like I did as a prosecutor, and get through the gridlock like I've done as a senator, where I've passed over 100 bills where I've been the lead Democrat. And last, yes, I will govern with integrity. We have a president where people turn off their TV when they see him. Not me. I will make you proud as your president. Congressman O'Rourke. We are as divided and polarized as a country as we have ever been. And right now we have a president who uses fear to try to drive us further apart. To meet this challenge, we have to have hope in one another and a faith in a future of this country that includes everyone. My whole life, I've been including people in the success of this country, starting a small business with high-value, high-wage, high-skilled jobs in the third poorest urban county in America, serving on the city council and holding town hall meetings every single week to remind myself who it is that I serve at the end of the day, and in Congress, being in the minority but working with Democrats and Republicans alike to deliver for my constituents and this country, and then in Texas this last year, traveling to every county, not writing anybody off, not taking anyone for granted, and at the end of the day, winning more votes than any Democrat had in the history of the state, winning independence for the first time in decades, and winning nearly half a million Republicans. And those 38 electoral college votes in Texas are now in play, and I can win them. That is how we defeat Donald Trump in November of 2020, and how we bring this divided country together again in January of 2021. Thank you. Mayor Buttigieg. There's good news and bad news. I'm going to start with the bad news. Our country's in trouble. GDP is going up and life expectancy is going down. Think about what that means. And it's only getting tougher. By 2030, we will have passed the point of no return on climate. There could be 130 million more guns on our streets. I'll be in my 40s then. If you have kids, think about how old they will be then. But here's the good news. It's not too late. We can tell our kids that before we ran out of time, just before we ran out of time, in 2020, we did what it took to deliver a climate that we didn't have to wonder if it could support us, to deliver a society where race has no bearing on your health or your wealth or your relationship with law enforcement, that we did what it took to deliver an economy where a rising tide actually does lift all boats. We can do this if and only if we are ready to walk away from what hasn't worked with bold action and win, not only defeat this president, but defeat his congressional allies with a defeat so big that it reunites the Republican Party with its conscience, as well as bringing Democrats to office. Join me, and let's make it happen. Senator Warren. From the time I was seven years old, I had a dream. I wanted to be a public school teacher. But my daddy ended up as a janitor, and by the time I graduated from high school, my family didn't have the money to send me off to college. My big chance was what was then a commuter college that cost $50 a semester. For me, what this election is all about is opportunity. Every budget, every policy that we talk about is about who's going to get opportunity. Is it going to go to the billionaires, or is it going to go to our kids? Right now, for decades, 
We have had a government that has been on the side of the rich and the powerful. It has been on the side of the wealthy. And that means it has not been on the side of everyone else, not on the side of people living on our Native American reservations, people living in inner cities, people living in small farms and small communities across this country. How do we beat it? We beat it by being the party of big structural change. Give people a reason to show up and vote. And we beat it by building a grassroots movement across this country, not showing up behind closed doors with millionaires, but actually building it person by person across this country with small dollar donations, with volunteers, with people who show up and say, I have a stake in this democracy. I will not only beat Donald Trump in 2020, I'll start to make real change come 2021. Senator Sanders. As somebody who grew up in a family that lived in a rent-controlled apartment in Brooklyn, New York, and lived paycheck to paycheck, I'm running for president not just to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of this country, a guy who's a racist and a sexist, and a homophobe. I'm running to transform this country and to stand with the working class of America, which for the last 45 years has been decimated. Two days ago, I had a remarkable experience which should tell you everything you need to know about what's going on in America. I took 15 people with diabetes from Detroit a few miles into Canada, and we bought insulin for one-tenth the price being charged by the crooks who run the pharmaceutical industry in America today. But it's not just the price-fixing and the corruption and the greed of the pharmaceutical industry. It's what's going on in the fossil fuel industry. It's what's going on in Wall Street. It's what's going on with the prison industrial complex. We need a mass political movement Please go to BernieSanders.com, become one of our million volunteers. Stand up and take on the greed and corruption of the ruling class of this country. Let's create a government and an economy that works for all of us, not just the 1%. Williamson sort of lost control over rock and roll in her closing <laughs> statement. Might drop the audio in there if you get a, if you have a mind to. Yeah. Uh, Ryan said, I hope I captured your imagination at one point, which was laughable. <laughs> not even no. a little, Tim Ryan, no. not even a little. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, you captured my imagination that I'm imagining a future where little American children can watch a Democratic debate without your ass in it. <laughs> so that's the, that's, the, uh, that's the way you captured my imagination. Uh <laughs> Hickenlooper said, I'm as progressive as anybody on this stage. God. Another laugh line. Um, and Bernie Sanders mentioned that, you know, in the week before the debate in Detroit there, he took 15 people from Detroit who had uh, who had uh, uh, they, they had the medical condition. What do you uh, call in, it? Uh, insulin. They needed insulin. They needed insulin. He took 15 people to uh, up from Detroit up to Canada to buy insulin for one tenth the price, which was, you know, a good thing. I saw the video and stuff on Facebook when he did that. Mm -hmm. 
we're saving $10,000 today. So they are paying here less than one-tenth of what they're paying in Indiana. Yes. At a time when the manufacturers of insulin made $14.5 billion in profit last year. How can we be the greatest country and I am paying that much? How can you sleep at night knowing that kids can't afford insulin? Today, actually, we got 24 vials, 25 vials. Great, it was $1,000 I paid. We still pay, saved $10,000. Rationing insulin is obviously never a good idea because you're, you're allowing your blood sugars to rise high and you're eating away at your muscle, at your fat storage, and you're basically uh, depleting your energy storage. I realized what my mom and my family was having to take on. I realized that they were giving up and sacrificing so much just to keep me alive. I, I decided that, hey, I'm going to take one for the team this time. It was pretty scary as a mom to know that your son felt that he was a burden to you. And we know as parents that we would do anything in the world for our, our children. We made hard decisions. You know, we say, okay, we'll, we'll not pay the electric bill this much month, but we'll catch up next month. Because we have fallen into this loophole where at the beginning of the year we have a high deductible. So how do I meet paying tuition? How do I meet paying our household bills? How do I meet paying for the mess and that I have to have to keep my son alive. It's gut-wrenching and I told Mr. Sanders my husband's family immigrated here from Canada. My husband and I in 2019 are thinking about moving back to Canada. Um, how devastating that would be for his family who wanted this so bad. Well, I had three hypoglycemic seizures when I was in college. I was diagnosed in March of 2010 with type 1 diabetes. We had a young gentleman who was 21 years old, worked two jobs um, in Minnesota. His name is Jesse, who was found dead in his apartment on, you know, at the end of June. For what reason? Because of price gouging and corruption by insulin manufacturers. Really needs to stop. $240 in Michigan for this file, $24 in Canada. And the American people are going to have to be thinking long and hard about the greed of the pharmaceutical industry and the corruption and price fixing which is going on in the United States. Thank you very much. A good thing, so. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know. Uh, fortunately, I mean, Bernie plugged his website, which is something we're definitely going to get to on night two, because <laughs> night two, they told everybody, plug your website. Maybe yeah. you'll get enough donations and individual contributors that you could make the third debate. And so they all tried to plug their websites. And as far as I can tell, I haven't gone to the website, but I'm pretty sure Biden screwed up his website address. Yeah, that's what I heard. Three zero three three Biden Joe three zero three three zero. Really? What do those numbers mean? <laughs> I want to type them in now, but I'm pretty sure somebody's probably made somebody's a spoof website it. or something yeah, at this point. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah, my million dollar opportunities already sailed right there. I know, right? You didn't register it in time. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
yeah. Anyways, I, I, again, I'm sorry we kind of rushed through those, but yeah, that was like, there's just, you know, there's so many people talking, so many things going on. And the beginning of this debate was so disorganized that it was really hard to like really get comprehensive notes. And, and again, so much of stuff that people said at different questions was just such fluff that it's just not even really worth taking notes on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. Thoughts or other yeah, comments? I'm looking. Or? I'm looking forward to tonight too. I've heard some good good lines to to pick apart from that one that I'm excited to get to. So. Yeah. Well, having watched it, I'll say there were m- many fewer fireworks, and it was much less exciting than night one. I think much less interesting as well in a way. But mm. so. But yeah. Yeah. Have you gone back and listened to our other ones at all? Uh. Yeah. I think I listened to. I listened to one or two, both of them, I think. Yeah. It was, yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're good. Yeah. I like that they're good uh, recaps. So it's nice to be able to throw, especially since the debates are so hard to find this time, it'll be good to give our uh, commentary and stuff. So, but yeah, I like it when I listen to the, one of the old things where we're recording and like you start talking, you introduce a topic or something. And I think of something that I would say that I want to say, and I'm like, Oh, I would say it like this, and then I I listen for a few seconds, like, oh yeah, I did say it like that. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I still agree with my I I my I'm thinking the same way. Like I, you know, that kind of cues up the same thought for me <laughs> that it did a few days ago. So it's it's like yeah, I I was saying what I wanted to say apparently. So that's good. right, right. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, not every time. <laughs> <laughs> I I probably won't have that debate as fresh in my mind because I did that one before the first one, and I've already you know got right. the notes. Uh, I've got fewer pages of notes for that one. I've got just one one page front and back for that one. So mm. dipping in the Kool Aid and you don't even know the flavor, right? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what we'll be doing. Yeah, like uh, sometimes when I'm reading these things, I I start reading a quote from somebody. I, I have no idea what they said. I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Second night, I think they several people tried to come after Biden on racial stuff. Like I think that was supposed to be like a I don't know. I don't think they were successful, so that'll be interesting to talk about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, thanks for uh, chopping it up again tonight, and we'll uh, come back in a couple of days and do night two. So. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks again, Bob. Yeah. Good luck, and I hope people are able to watch the debates, or if they're not able to watch the debates, maybe they can get something out of this. So. Yeah. Yeah. Go to Steve Bullock three zero three zero. Yeah, right. Oh God. Yeah. Hopefully by the time you're hearing this, the economy isn't in, you know, absolute depression and you know, we a bunch more people have not died in America. God, this you know, this stuff has gotta stop people, like for real. It's just gotta stop. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's not good. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I wish I had a little bit more pathos to bring to it than that, but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyways, yeah. All right. Well, uh, have a good night, Jeff. All right. Yeah. You too, Bob. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Yeah, bye-bye.
Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, RSS, and now Spotify. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. If you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Also, if you want to call or text the show for any reason, the number is 317-674-3547. Until next time.